0: Wake up. Freedom's on the rise. Four words, four little words that are hurting America's pandemic response. What are they? Here, let Sean Hannity tell you. He loves these words.
1: Do your own research. Please do your own research. Do your own research. Do your own research. There's a ton of it right on, you know, at the tip of your fingers on your own phone.
0: Right, and that's the problem. Do your own research. Everybody has a supercomputer in their hand that empowers them to do their own research, which, which is great, right? Isn't it? Can we all stop saying, I need to do my own
1: research? Nobody who's saying that is getting in a lab and doing tests. At best, you're reading other people's research. And more likely, you're probably reading a tweet about a headline, about a blog post, about someone else's research.
0: See, Sean Annity could learn a thing or two from Trevor Noah. That phrase, do your own research, it's popping up a lot in conversations about coronavirus and about COVID vaccines. Nicki Minaj used similar wording in that tweet this week saying she was doing research. But this go it alone approach, doing your own research, it seems so innocent, but it can have serious consequences. Let's talk about it with two actual researchers, uh, Yael Eisenstadt and Rene Daresta are back. Uh, Rene, what are the roots of this phrase? I feel like I used to hear it around QAnon craziness.
2: You know, it became, uh, got a lot of coverage in the context of QAnon, but it dates back to the 1890s. Uh, it huh. dates back to the origin of the anti-vaccine movement, where there was a lot of debate about whether um, allopathic doctors or homeopathic doctors were accurate in, in their findings about inoculation. This goes all the way back to the kind of the era of smallpox. In the 90s, you actually saw the phrase used positively in the context of the internet. Um, particularly, you know, there was a shortage of doctor time, and so they would say, hey, you know, you can do some of the research about your condition by reading these websites. And they would point people to websites online, like things like WebMD and that kind of more authoritative sources in the early days of the Internet prior to the kind of proliferation that we've seen today of uh, of, of less reputable sources. Right, um, I see. One of the real challenges—oh, go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, I, I just— um the idea that this has been around forever, but now that we all have these phones, we all have this ability, do your own research, you know, it's supercharged. And, yeah, I wonder how you view it in the context of yeah. Nicki Minaj, like this idea that, oh, yeah, she's just doing her research. Isn't that just her way of saying, I want an excuse to reconfirm my priors not to get the vaccine?
3: So it's so interesting, right, because in and of itself, the idea of doing your own research is not a bad idea. We should have a healthy skepticism of the information that is fed to us. But in a world today where so much of our information is actually dominated by clicks and engagement and salacious, all the things that we were just talking about, the way social media is designed, and and honestly, the way a lot of different media companies, unfortunately, are competing in that space, nobody's going to the library and looking up authoritative, authoritative sources to do their own research. They're doing a Google search, a YouTube search, and they're getting information that it is always easy to find information that confirms your biases, that points to what it is you want to know. Now, with Nicki Minaj, I don't assume ill intent with her. Mm-hmm. But don't forget, the same phrase, do your research, is being peddled by some people who do have ill intent, who want to push you down certain paths, who want to either for profit reasons or for geopolitical reasons, want to make sure that you are reading certain information as opposed to listening to authoritative sources. So what should be a actually smart idea, especially in the U.S. with such a lack of funding and media literacy and all of right. these issues, it, it can really actually help make things worse.
0: Yeah, it's a sneaky little phrase like it uh, has all these implications. Renee, what can the media do? What should the media do?
2: Well, the challenge that we face today is really that the media is fragmented. You can get information from a proliferation of media sources, and so the media has to think about the ethics of 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 what information it conveys to people, there has to be a transparency. This is what we understand now. This is a real solid understanding versus this is still a theoretical understanding. We don't see that communicated to the public, particularly effectively at the moment, and so oftentimes what you'll see is something that is uh, you know the way that that science develops, you have something that may be a consensus opinion one month that shifts as more information and facts are found. So I think one area where media can really come into play and be helpful here is to explain that process of consensus. Yes, last month we didn't know what the origin of this virus was. This month, this is where new information has come out, new verifiable uh, scientific research has come out suggesting the following thing is the most accurate understanding of the problem at this moment in time. So a little bit more in the way of transparency, a little bit more in the way of conveying what we know, when we know it, and helping the public understand that science is a consensus building process, not something where we know the facts immediately the moment that someone wants to be Googling for them. And that, I think, is one of the the key challenges, helping people understand that that's what's going to be happening.
0: Right. That's a literacy lesson right there. Uh, Thank you both for these lessons.
4: The most up-to-date information daily. You can trust us as a source of that information. Uh, You can also trust the Director General of Health and the Ministry of Health. For that information, do feel free to visit at any time to clarify any rumour you may hear, COVID19.govt.nz. Otherwise, dismiss anything else we will continue to be your single source of truth, we will provide information frequently, we will share everything we can, uh, everything you are, else you see um, a grain of salt uh, and so I really ask people to focus well, on there's that There's a example of that, appears to be this text which originated in Malaysia and has kind of a, has become a viral hoax in Australia and in New Zealand, how irresponsible is it the people that are sharing that news of a lockdown imminent in New Zealand Yeah. And, and look, that's the kind of thing that adds um, to the anxiety that people feel so i continue to share the message new zealanders must prepare but do not panic prepare and and when you see those messages remember that unless you hear it from us um, it is not the truth and i really ask people just visit um uh, covid19.govt.nz it has all of the up-to-date information and we will continue to provide everything you need to fully vaccinated. How did they test positive if they were fully vaccinated? Ah, So it is it is still um, in fact we entirely expect that people who are vaccinated will still get COVID-19. It just means that they won't get sick and they and they won't die. Um, It just means that they won't get sick and they and they won't die.
5: Yeah, so to be clear, I think one of the things we're talking about here is that there are now weapons under development and developed that are designed to target specific people. Right, that, that's what this is, uh, where you, you can actually take someone's DNA, take you know, their, their medical profile, and you can target a biological weapon that will, that will kill that person or take them off the battlefield or make them inoperable. So you can't have a discussion about this without talking about privacy uh, and, and co- commercial data. And the protection of commercial data, because expectations of privacy have degraded over the last 20 years. Uh, you know, young folks actually have very little expectation of privacy. That's what the polling and the, the data show. Uh, and, and people will very rapidly spit into a cup and send it into 23andMe and get really interesting data about their background. And guess what? Their DNA is now owned by a private company and can be sold off without very with very little uh, intellectual property protection or, or privacy protection. And we don't have legal and regulatory regimes to deal with. With that. So, uh, we have to have a, an open and public discussion, and this is gonna have to be a political discussion, about what does the protection of healthcare information, DNA information, and, and your data look like, because that uh, data is actually gonna be procured and collected by our adversaries for the development of these systems.
6: I also wanna uh, re- re- give a correlation between design and function. When I did uh, A-level biology under Father Gerard Farfan at Fatima College, uh, we used a textbook called Biology, a Functional Approach by MBV Roberts. And we learned then that form and function should be one, that form follows function. In fact, the purpose of design is function. And I want to start my presentation by looking at a quick backdrop of the genetic bioweapons industry. And I think the world first became aware of the fact that there was such such a bioweapons industry when uh, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Leonard Horowitz published a book called Emerging Viruses in 1996. Emerging Viruses, AIDS and Ebola, Natural or Intentional. That was the title of the book. And in this academic treatise, and he's a virologist and a vaccinologist, he proved that AIDS and Ebola are manufactured uh, viruses uh, engineered in a laboratory. His academic treatise has stood the test of time. It has never been refuted and, and we know that uh, the way academics stand and fall is on being presented and refuted. This has never been refuted. And uh, the genetic bioweapons industry is the most covert industry on planet Earth. But it exists. I would like to go further by saying that um, William Cohen, the former U.S. Secretary of State in 1997, Cohen referred to the concept of an ethnic bioweapon as a possible risk. In 1998, some biological weapon experts considered such a genetic weapon plausible. And you know when they say that, it means they've already produced it, and they're they're stockpiling it and waiting to use it. Uh, And that research was being done on how certain substances can influence human genes. That was 1998. Ten years later, in 2008, the U.S. Government Congressional Committee uh, uh, sat under the, under, under the title, under the label, Genetics and Other Human Modification Technologies. A new kind of arms race, people, a new kind of arms race is happening. Yes. And, and somebody said, and, and in that committee said, there are attempts to manipulate human genetics in ways that would horrify us. And so that was 2008. Let me go a little further and uh, go beyond William Cohen. And we want to introduce you to somebody called Dr. Francis Boyle. Very, very significant gentleman. I think we have a a photo of Dr. Boyle that we could put up. Dr. Francis Boyle is an international law expert. He's also an an expert on uh, genetic bioweapons. And he was a gentleman who framed the Anti-Terrorism Act. It's called the Bioweapons Anti-Terrorism Act, or BWATA. It was framed in 1989, signed into law in 1990 by President George W. Bush with unanimous approval from the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress. And so, uh, if there is a a, a Genetic Bioweapons Anti-Terrorism Act, it means, obviously, there must be a genetic bioweapons industry. And uh, I want you to know, people, that on this Earth, 22 nations on planet Earth have what we call BSL-4 labs. A BSL-4 lab means biosafety level 4. Uh, Biosafety level four is the highest level of biosafety. And in these labs, they make pathogens, deadly pathogens. Uh, I I also want you to know that 16 nations on planet Earth stockpile genetic bioweapons, 16 nations stockpile. They have them in their armory. There's a new arms race going on. And I wanna give you a quote from Dr. Francis Boyle. Dr. Francis Boyle, the framer of the Anti-Terrorism Act, says this, uh, international law expert, bioweapons expert, SARS CoV 2 is an offensive biological warfare agent made in a lab and engineered with gain of function properties. He wow. said that in February 2020. I have I have quoted this in my in a documentary I did. It's on YouTube called Watchman What of the Night Part One, where I, I spelled this out very clearly. Wow. And he's he has come to the conclusion, and this is gonna shock you. Amen. Uh, put on your seat belts, this is gonna shock you. He has come to the conclusion that SARS-CoV-2 is a tripartite chimera and it is composed of one SARS the original SARS uh, but and he says SARS uh, is already weaponized and then that SARS virus was enhanced by gain-of-function properties and step three they were all then uh, genetically recombined with an HIV virus that's the virus that causes AIDS so a tripartite chimera. If you think I am kidding I have some notes here that I could refer to, and uh, they, I call them smoking gun one, two, and three. Francis Boyle, quoting from an article called Antiviral Research February 10, 2020, uh, written by three French scientists and one Canadian scientist from Montreal, said the Wuhan, co- the, the Wuhan coronavirus genetic analysis may provide a gain of function to 2019 novel coronavirus. To, The Wuhan coronavirus genetic analysis may provide a gain of function to 2019 novel coronavirus for efficient spreading in human population compared to other beta coronaviruses. He says that is a smoking gun. It was genetically engineered for efficient spreading in human population. Wow, that's recorded. Gain of function, if you don't know what gain of function means, gain of function means genetically engineered to be more lethal, more virulent, more infectious, and to mutate or adapt more readily with slight increases in immune selection pressure from the population. It's also called accelerated viral evolution. And uh, I saw Dr. Gill refer to that in his campaign about, uh, and he used the the, the, the colloquial parlance, just so. Viruses don't just so jump from animal to human. Uh, Smoking gun number two, UNC, and that's the University of North Carolina. Don't be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) The University of North Carolina labs at Chapel Hill. Uh, brought a team together to do an experiment, and part of the North Carolina University team was—they uh, were joined by a gentleman from China, called Dr. Zeng Li Shi. Dr. Zeng Li Shi—he was from the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the Chinese Academy of Sciences. And in fact, Wuhan gave a grant to the University of North Carolina so that scientists could be involved in this in this experiment. They imported. Uh, SARS cells, SARS viruses from from the Fort Detrick labs. And for those of you who know geopolitics and covert geopolitics, very necessary for any Bible prophecy teacher or any pastor in this day to know, amen, Fort Detrick, the Fort Detrick labs are the US's US's main BSL4 labs where they research, stockpile and test genetic bioweapons. And so so this team given a grant uh, by China we uh, were working on, on, on increasing the pathogenicity of the SARS samples that they got from Fort Detrick. Smoking gun number three. Uh, research at the Australian Animal Health Lab was funded by the Chinese Ministry of Science and Technology along with the, the, the other two I mentioned, the Wuhan Institute and the Academy of Sciences from China. And the experimental goal was to coalesce the initial weaponized SARS virus Uh, enhance it with gain-of-function properties and then coalesce it genetically to an HIV virus. Amen. Therefore forming the tripartite chimera. And so I'm I'm listening to you where these experiments took place. Let me go a little further. Smoking gun number four. Indian scientists did an analysis on the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and they said they definitely found elements of the HIV virus in the genomic sequencing. So this was confirmed by a team from India. And uh, let me mention to you that uh, HIV is a retrovirus. Retroviruses use mRNA to inject their stuff into the cell. And uh, when the mRNA is injected into the cell, there is something called retrointegration that takes place. And that means that the, the mRNA is converted back into DNA and then it, it coalesces with the, the chromosomal DNA of the host. Uh, so, so, retroviruses like HIV carry an enzyme called reverse transcriptase, which changes mRNA back into DNA so it can coalesce with the, with the, 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 the genes in your nucleus. This means that when they said it's an mRNA vaccine, and they said it will, it will, it will only go to the ribosomes and form proteins, that's not true. I Even mean, it, it will be reconverted to, the, to DNA and affect your human genome. Wow. 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 So Francis Boyle says this, the most dangerous biological weapon ever released on the public is SARS-CoV-2. Wow. Now, let me go to smoking gun, which uh, number five? Smoking gun five? five? Smoking gun number five. Fauci's emails. Wow. Okay, okay. FAUCI's emails say this, uh, well, first of all, we must note FAUCI's vacillations. When, when he was called, when recently he was called to testify to the US Congressional Committee, uh, and this is all on video record, he said, no, US taxpayers did not fund Wuhan, the Wuhan laboratory. Then he said, yes, US taxpayers did fund the, the, the laboratory, but it was a sub-grant. Then he said, we funded it, but there was no gain-of-function research. Then he said, we did fund it, uh, there was gain-of-function research, but it was, but it was a sound scientific decision. Jesus. Then he said, it would have been negligent not to fund it. So he kept, he kept vacillating back and forth, and I said, this is all on record. Let me go further to another one of Fauci's emails. This is from Dr. Christian Anderson, and I'm proving to you that, SARS is, that, that SARS-CoV-2 is a genetic bioweapon. Dr. Christian Anderson in an email, a, a secret email that was unearthed when Fauci's emails were exposed. He said the unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome. So no one has to look. Re- so one has to look really closely at the sequence to see that some features look engineered. Wow. Smoking gun number six. Hmm. Further. This is the same guy, Dr. Christian Anderson, writing in an email to Dr. Fauci. Further, I should mention that after discussions with Eddie, Bob and Mike, his fellow virologists, we all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. This is what Dr. Gill was referring to. The way a virus normally evolves, this virus didn't look like that. So they found number one, the virus looked engineered and it, was in, it looked inconsistent with evolutionary theory. Wow, so beloved, uh, this, this states very clearly that uh, that SARS CoV 2 is a genetic bioweapon. And uh, let's go to Charles Leiber. Charles Leiber was the, is the head of biology and the head of chemical biology at Harvard University. He was. And this guy used to train graduate Chinese students. Yes, that's him up on the screen. He uh, used to train, train graduate Chinese students in his lab. He's a microbiologist of the highest note. And he has received over $15 million in defense contracts from the United States government to do just that, create, create genetic bioweapons. Uh, two, of his, two of his students wow. were arrested at the Logan International Airport in December 2019, smuggling 21 vials of sensitive biological material to Wuhan, China. Jesus. Amen. Charles Leiber himself was arrested by the FBI on January 28, 2020, for espionage with China. He was their consultant and, the, and actually was a hands-on builder of the BSL4 lab in Wuhan, China. China has one deluxe BSL4 lab. It was built by Charles Lieber through his consultancy. He was paid 150 million US dollars to do that and had a salary of 50,000 US a month from China. Amen. And so it has become very clear that SARS-CoV-2 is not a Kung Fu virus or a Chinese virus. As some people say, it was, it was due to Anglo-Asian complicity. I mean, LIBOR's involvement actually goes much deeper than I mentioned in, but that's not for this paper. I will skip um, at this point. I have, I have talked extensively about vaccine types and, uh, and uh, mass, uh, 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 mass vaccination at the time of uh, a pandemic. But I'm just going to hit on one thing quickly before I, I go to my final point. Take your time. Yes, I want you to understand that um, the vaccine types that are on the market, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson are all genetic vaccines. They are mRNA and viral vector vaccines that will affect your human genome. They are not normal. Amen. The normal vaccines that I got when I was a child, and my children got when I was an adult, amen, are, are attenuated or inactivated virus vaccines. And these vaccines are new technology never before been deployed in the human population. They are tools of gene therapy or Frankenstein, Frankenstein technology, oh, as some people call it, amen, a mystery concoction, amen, and they are not normal. Therefore, don't, and I hear doctors on television conflating the two types of vaccines. They are tools of gene therapy. If SARS-CoV-2 is a bioweapon, then the code of the spike protein for SARS-CoV-2 injected into you, you're having a bioweapon injected into you. Hmm. And the spike protein, I won't go into the, the, the scientific details right now, but the spike protein is pathogenic and it will, dis, it will damage you. Uh, Dr. Sukarit Bagli says the vaccine is a thrombogenic vaccine, and he warns of neural venal thrombosis, and he warns of the decimation of the human population. Mass uh, vaccination at a time of high infectious pressure, that means at the time uh, thank you, at the time when the, when the, uh, the, the, there is, the pandemic is at its height, that, that causes a fuels a phenomenon known to all virologists. I heard a virologist on television, TV Six News last night mentioned this, and uh, called viral immune escape." And in a nutshell, viral immune escape is this: when you put a virus under pressure through a mass vaccination program. The, vac- the vaccine-induced antibodies will stand up against the COVID-19 virus and, and fight it. And so the virus is on the run. Once a virus gets on the run, remember this virus is a, is a virus that especially, uh, it has gain-of-function properties. Yes. You put it under pressure, it changes, right. it shifts, it changes its cloak, it looks different, wow. amen? It becomes a variant. Wow. And, and the variant cannot be stopped by the vaccine-induced antibodies. Vaccine-induced antibodies also shut down your innate immune system. Mm. So the vaccinated have vaccine-induced antibodies that cannot stop a variant, and then it sh- they also shut down your innate immune system so variants can come straight through and infect those who are vaccinated. That is viral immune escape. And that says that the vaccinated are defenseless against variants this is no longer a pandemic of COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 this is a pandemic of variants amen and there is something called recombination listen to me carefully why aren't our virologists telling us this amen Uh, recombination means that a vaccinated host can be infected by more than one variant at one time oh big deal delta variant is in trinidad you heard that Mm -hmm. amen well uh dr peter mccullough says uh they don't have enough letters in the greek alphabet to name the variants amen in fact there are over 100 variants already floating around ov- all over the globe some some put it as 185. if a vaccinated host is infected uh co-infected by more than one variant the variants when they get inside they have a little party and they mix and they change DNA and they they camouflage and they they, they mix their DNA, the recombinant DNA technology takes place and it produces a super variant. And if super variants are produced, nothing can stop them. And already they are saying that the, I think the latest variant that come out is is vaccine resistant. Well, this is just the beginning. Dr. Dr. Gert van den Bosch warns, he said, if we do not immediately stop mass vaccination campaigns all around the world, the world will experience an international catastrophe of mass mortality. I didn't say that, he did. The vaccinated are a threat to us all. However, amen, we must, we, we must treat the vaccinated kindly, That's so. amen, with, with with great empathy, amen, with prayer, amen and and, and, amen, and and with humanity and love, amen. Thank you, my brother, yes. amen. So, so no discrimination against the vaccinated, That's right. amen. So yes, yes, amen. So let me just close by saying this. Uh, let, let me mention also antibody-dependent enhancement, which is an autoimmune situation that, help, that also uh, is surface, surfaces during mass vaccination. And I'm going to just piggyback and uh, uh, do a kind of uh, uh, add-on to some of the things that Bishop Gill said. I'm gonna, this section is called Follow the Money, and it's going to be quick. Ahead, the pharmaceutical industry benefited from a law, the resurgence of a law, called the DTC law, direct-to-consumer law, that was put, that, that became very prevalent in one thousand nine hundred and ninety seven it allowed pharmaceutical companies to, uh, to, to, to advertise prescription drugs directly through mass media to the, to their customers and consumers. This changed the game because it, it meant that the pharmaceutical industry could pour bi- millions and millions of dollars into the media and uh, therefore they effectively owned the media and controlled the media. The pharmaceutical industries also uh, control the WHO as Dr. Gill mentioned. In fact, sixty to seven percent of the funding of the World Health Organization comes from the pharmaceutical industries. But that's not all. The pharmaceutical industries also contain the control the US legislature. The medical research uh, journals, medical research journals, you can't publish nothing unless they approve. Even the scientific journals, the medical schools where doctors are trained are controlled by the pharmaceutical industry. And now they have come home to us even even onto our own shores where they have co-opted control of national governments uh, public health authorities, medi- the medical fraternity, Jesus. the media, the business sector, and I'm sorry to say, the ecclesiastical leaders as well. Amen. So I want you to know that uh, the elected, the elite, and the ecclesiastics have have, have struck hands together, Jesus. and they have decided they're going to vaccinate the entire world, and that's what we are su- that's what we are suffering from. Amen. Uh, so, so, so we, we Trinidad and Tobago, we are not following the real science. This is the real science. Mm-hmm. Amen. And this real science is being suppressed and censored. Right. Amen. We are effectively following the dictates of the pharmaceutical companies. Okay. Amen. In other words, we're not following, we're not following the science, we're following the money. Right. Amen. And, and 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 I am shocked That's to see right. I, I see giants in the church world falling because they are, you know it it is a it is a it is a it is a funny thing for the, the state to control the medical apparatus of a nation. Wow. If the state dictates to the medical apparatus what to do, if they dictate to the business owners what to do, if they dictate to the churches what to do, are we still in a democracy? Hmm. Are we still in a democracy? Have we crossed crossed the line? And this is my last submission. Let me close with this. This is the death graph. By the way, um, Francis Boyle calls uh, uh, BSL4Labs death factories. He calls that work death science. 13,000 U.S. scientists work in that field. 13,000. Here's a death graph. I want to use as my pivotal date, a date that the Prime Minister will remember very well. Tuesday, the 6th of April, 2021. That was the day on which Dr. Keith Christopher Rowley uh, was supposed to be vaccinated, but he came down uh, so sad with COVID-9, a COVID-19 infection. But April 6, 2021 is also the day that the, the public mass vaccination campaign in Trinidad and Tobago was implemented. It started. I wanna use that as a central point. If I go back to March 2020, between March 2020 and April 6, 2021, 145 people died in Trinidad and Tobago. 145. Yes. And uh, uh, then, using April 6, 2021 again as a, as a, as a key point, from April 6, 2021, to August thirteenth, that's yesterday, because I only have figures up to yesterday. To August thirteenth, 2021, that's four months. One thousand and twenty-two people have died. 10 22. Ten twenty-two people have died uh, in four months, as opposed to one hundred forty-five people. So, when the vaccine public vaccination campaign started, a death spike began, and in in in, in a few months. Uh, uh, 1,022 people died. 14% of people died before the vaccine. 86% of the people died after the vaccine. And Gerd van den Bosch, in his model, he predicts that this is what would happen, and it's happening in 90% of the countries all over the world. Amen. That that, It means that the vaccines are causing the death spike. Let me say it again. The vaccines are causing the death spike. The the, the vaccinated are the spike. Amen. Which is why our public health authorities, cannot release the data and the statistics to show the deaths of the vaccinated one doctor tried and I haven't seen her since on your screen that graph you see you see that spike at the end of the graph at, at, at where am I, where I'm sitting on the right hand side of the graph it may be opposite for you a spike the bottom of that spike the bottom of that hill is April 6th April 6, 2021. From that point on, the spike just keeps going up. That graph has never been shown on a COVID briefing. What they do is they present segmented, compartmentalized graphs of different f- facets, but they never show you. This This is this is the master graph. This linear graph of deaths is a master graph. It's still rising people since the vaccination rollout. I close by saying this, amen. Uh, Noah and his family resisted the whole world. Amen. Uh, in standing against the evil of their day. Come on. Amen. Daniel. Daniel. And Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. <laughs> Amen. Stood against an empire and yeah. won. Come on, somebody. Esther. Change the command of a king by her faith and her prayer. Amen. So I want to encourage all you Christians out there. Yes. You think you're fighting a Goliath? Amen. Well, David defeated Goliath. In yes. my Bible, David defeated Goliath. Yes. Amen. Don't worry about the size of your opponent. What, bother about the size of your God. Oh, Amen. God is God will prevail. Yes. I optimistically submit to you, prophetically submit to you that this, this house, this international house of cards will crumble. There's going to be an international scandal and all those who were aiding and abetting will find themselves in trouble.
7: Welcome back to Freedoms Rising. Today is July ninth, 2022. I am your host, Tyler Bloyer. And today you are in the Bio-Sci War Barrage, Part 6. And you can find this show on TylerBloyer.com and freedomsrising.live. freedomsrising.live being a project I launched about a year ago with a 24-7 live stream playing. All the latest freedom-oriented and bio-bio-psi War and Great Reset and content from content creators that I choose to put into the playlist. I am the ghost in the machine, the content producer behind, the programmer behind freedomsrising.live. We're also float casting on Float, and you can find that at the Freedoms Rising Float page, and I'm 24-7 live streaming on Float as well. Looking forward to heading out to Jackfest next week to Hang out with some of the people from Float and the Jack Festers, And uh, we'll be looking out for the Jackalope, making sure there's no wild Jackalope out there. Uh, but no, seriously, in the upcoming event at Jackalope Freedom Festival, jackalopefreedomfestival.com, uh, there's a Facebook activity going on if you want to find the details on how to get there. It's the first two weeks of August that you can... Uh, go and attend and and meet your fellow jackalopers, uh, people that are freedom-oriented, that are attempting to create a better world through peaceful interaction and community and grassroots efforts. Uh, A good story today is also a story that I'll tell and then I'll also let you know that July 29th is actually my birthday, so I'm recording here on a day where I tick the ticker up one more notch on my age. And there's nothing I'd rather be doing than producing the content that I like to produce in my own manner, in my own style, under my own volition. No sponsors, no uh, people that are controlling what is said here on the air. It is just my Uh, off the top of the head sometimes, sometimes making mistakes. We'll cover a couple of those here coming up too. But about five years ago, I learned in, uh, it was either like five years in a day or five years and two days ago, we learned that we had our beautiful baby boy, Dante, on the way with us, and that's when Cassandra found out that she was pregnant with Dante, just right after, or even the day of, we did the Decentralize Your Life Tour event in Salt Lake City, Utah, and that is the tour that Derek Bros and other members of the Conscious Resistance came through uh, all over the U.S., and I actually helped him create the logo and artwork that year, and if I would have known, it would have been blown up to, like, massive size and put on the hood of a car <laughs> as a sticker. I made, made might have paid a little bit more attention to the minor details, uh, but yeah, the that was a good collaboration, and I, I reached out to Derek and said, Hey, I could help with graphics, and I'm, I'm not like a great graphics designer. Uh, there's issues with my skill set in the graphics design department. I even have issues currently with the Freedoms Rising graphic, and you know, once you kind of get the ball rolling and the ship moving, it's hard to go back and change things. So over time, I need to update some of the Freedoms Rising graphics with, with the way they display on certain websites, it looks great on my website Tylerbloyer.com. But if you look at like the one great work network, there's some issue that some rendering mechanisms in the websites or the uh, the browsers have with that graphic. And I've you know been trying to figure it out. I've done several troubleshooting techniques and revisions on the graphic. And then uh, also recently I had a giant banner printed for Jackalope. So if you see the Freedoms Rising banner hanging and you're at Jackalope and you've been listening along, come say what's up, come, uh, you know, introduce yourself, let me know that you're a listener, that would be awesome to meet some people out in the real world. And uh, I had some people come up to me last year and I'm like, hey, I'm Tyler. And they're like, yeah, I know. I saw you on on the Grand Theft World podcast. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, and so we found out we were going to have Dante and then we went to the Jackalope Freedom Festival after that with our little tiny one, Amelia at the time, who was only about a year old. Uh, and we, then we found out we were going to have Dante. So it was a lot, a big couple years. And, you know, of course, uh, Vincent is our oldest. He's my, not my biological son, but essentially, uh, over the last six years has been, someone who came into my life when Cassandra did and I couldn't be happier to have the family that I have and be able to do the work that I do and support them in the way that I do and um, if anyone out there is becoming a new father or starting their journey into parenthood I would say buckle in you know this is when the real energy kicks in for you and all the the kind of weight of that uh, can be pretty heavy so congratulations to all the fathers out there and uh good luck to you and uh you know maybe we'll me and cassandra will sit down and talk about some of our parenting techniques here on freedoms rising so in the upcoming week and a half or so i'll be up at jackalope freedom festival and that will render me useless when it comes to creating content i do not have a bunch of pre-scheduled content that's going to be released so i'm going to be off air for a little while It's probably going to take me another week or so to kind of settle back from that and get caught up with things and get cleaned up and be ready to produce more content and plan that content as well. I want to plan out the next stage. We're not going to be continuing the BioSciWar immediately into the future. We're definitely going to have to come back and do more BioSciWar. I think what we'll end up doing is sort of a recap, maybe a Thursday BioSciWar show each week. You know, because we we need to keep a thumb on things. We got a there's a lot happening out there, so we've got to keep up with what's happening on the front lines. You know, and help uh, help people do their own research. As we heard, you know, the CNN whores there in the CNN media, uh, Brian Stelter or whatever his name is, uh, and they did a whole bit on that. Right, there was like a whole piece they put together just to tell people how dangerous it is to do your own research. And I mean, talk about gaslighting, talk about these, these fucking whores with the dirt in their mouth and shit still on their face from putting their nose so far up the ass of the people that they represent and just spewing out the most vicious lies and nonsense on the air. And uh, I think research started, doing your own research started back in the 1800s. Like, you know, like when people thinking for themselves started, like it's some documented thing that, Now what what's happened is there's been people trying to control other people and using brainwashing and techniques and, you know, up there in their nice suits with their makeup and their fancy cameras and their great backgrounds and the blue and red lights everywhere, you know, which are definitely not coincidental those are colors to get you to think that this is super important or to accept what they're saying everything they do is about trying to manipulate you and they're telling you 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 trust us you shouldn't do your own research You you need to be able to trust the experts we'll tell you what to do what to think don't think for yourself right don't actually do any research you know on the internet no one's going to the library like they're out there in the library in the deep, dark, n- wee hours of the morning doing their own research. No, they're just reading whatever the fuck they're told to read. You know, these people are the are some of the worst people in the world because they're paid bullshitters. They, they're whores of the media, knowing that they're giving you complete horseshit and doing it happily, just doing it willingly. These are some of the most evil people on the planet up there telling you not to do your own research. And uh, that's ridiculous. Speaking of doing your own research, sometimes you're going to make mistakes. You know, it's it's scary out there. You might you might make a, a uh, you might uh, make an assumption that's incorrect. And so, you know, there's techniques using uh, logic and reason and uh, other tools that you can use to help you on your journey. But I mean, even that is sort of like a, a courage thing. Then I guess to be able to go and you know read things that you might need to bounce around that go up against your preconceived notions and not just confirming your bias like they were saying there. And, um, you know, I think I like the part where she said, science is not a consensus build is it is a consensus building process. And that's, that's the absolute opposite of what science is. Science doesn't care about any preconceived notions or bias that you have. It's going to be the facts. And if it, if it's you know, even if it's completely opposite to what you thought, uh, or what the consensus says, I mean, because the consensus needs to be challenged. That's the idea of science is it's theories being proposed, with evidence being provided. And it's usually challenging some other paradigm. They're the ones that take that information and skew it to fit their paradigm model. And don't let things that go up against their narrative out on the air, and keep the you know, story that they want and the narrative that they want is what they represent through what they call the experts in the science. That's that they're, they're doing the opposite of what the scientific uh process, not not even the process, but the the whole idea of science in general is that it's not about consensus. It doesn't need to be I mean, I get what I get the point of like, yeah, the more it's confirmed, the more we can start to say, yeah, this has been you know, reproduced. This has been, uh, you know, gone through several studies and iterations and then peer-reviewed and all those things. But, you know, there was, there was some media coverage back a few years ago about how the peer-review process is also corrupt and that it's not necessarily, you know, again, seeking the truth and seeking the scientific consensus. It's about keeping funding going. It's about keeping your career going in that field. It's about making sure that the people that control your funding get the results that they want to get, right? So it's not out there trying to cure cancer. It's out there trying to make, you know, cancer a profitable industry. They don't want to cure it. They want to continue to reap the profits that the cancer industry provides. So, I mean, that was a ridiculous segment to open up, but then it went right in line with what we heard recently from uh, Jakinda Ar- Ardner, Arden, Arden, that's kind of, it's A-R-D-E-R-N, Arden, so Jakinda Arden, the New Zealand Prime Minister up there saying that they will tell you what to believe, they will tell you what the truth is, they are, I mean, it's like Fauci, I am science, you know what I mean? This is, this is the most egotistical, pretentious people, uh, that are, again, doing evil by by saying these things. They're saying that you can't know. You're too stupid to figure it out. Just listen to us. But how many times have they been wrong? Not just in the pandemic or, you know, when it has to relate to the biopsy war, but the continuous lies and spewing out their bullshit of these people and then telling you, oh, yeah, we'll tell you what's true. We'll tell you. And then she's up there saying the vaccine is 100% effective and safe well, it doesn't actually stop the spread later, right? Oh, well then, actually, it doesn't even stop infection. Uh, It just reduces the symptoms. But then they're trying to tell you that it was necessary to mandate this thing in the workplace when it didn't even stop the infections. It doesn't stop the spread. It's not effective against the variants, right? All, All these things that she can get up there and be totally wrong about and never go back and say, oh, I was wrong about this. I didn't have this correct. But she can get up there and, you know, tell you that we just need to trust what they're saying, even though they flip flop themselves all the time, which you should, you should be changing your opinion, but not just like lying, spewing out some more lies and never go back and be like, you know what, this was totally incorrect. We as the New Zealand or as the United Nations or the who or the, you know, United States government, we were incorrect about this thing. We were wrong about, you know, the origins of this, we were wrong about uh the treatments we were wrong about keeping people, you know, locked down and uh you know, social distancing and uh the 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 ventilators, all all these things that they they're not gonna come out and be like, yeah, you know, that was incorrect. They just can they just continue on like it's no big deal and tell you not to do your own research. Don't dig into anything yourself. You know, and we can go and we can look into things we can read the books we there's the, the people's plans and uh you know we can read klaus schwab's the great reset COVID 19 and the great reset we can read bill gates's book on the one i have over here it's called how to avoid a climate disaster where he basically says you know you will eat the bugs and uh you will be happy, you will own nothing, and you will be happy. They're all uh, chiming in on the whole new uh, communist world order. And uh, every time I try to go reach for my little soundboard thing here, it's it screws up, okay? But we have to get this into the record here where they...
8: So if we penetrate the cabinets...
7: So we ha- even Pierre Trudeau is the young global leader, and we...
8: So if we penetrate the cabinets...
7: But anyway, so the... Jacinda ardiner or whatever she was actually a mormon that's pretty interesting i didn't know that there was like an lds church of new zealand ardiner was born on the 26th of july 1980 Ooh, pretty close to my birthday there except for uh five years earlier and uh she's a leo then right She grew up in Morningsville and Marupara, where her father, Rose Ardenner, worked as a police officer. Her mother, Laurel (laughs) Ardenner, I can't say her last name, worked as a school catering assistant. Ardenner, Arden, (laughs) Ardenner, Arden, I can't say her last name. Arden was raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, and her uncle, Ian, is a general authority in the church, so I didn't, I didn't know that. Maybe a Masonic connection there. Maybe she's really a Freemason. No, I'm just, I'm just playing. I actually was raised in the LDS Church. For those that didn't know, I uh, walked away from that childhood uh, mm-hmm. upraising that I was raised in that church, and at about 14 years old, decided that it wasn't for me, and stopped attending and. Uh someday I would like to go back and do some series on what I eventually went back and researched on Joseph Smith and the history of the LDS Church, and I was going to call it The Mormons and the Masons, a series that I, you know, sort of tease about doing one day. Um, I say, I'll do it in my 50s. Yeah, like I know what I'm going to be doing in my 50s. Uh, you know, the five-year plan is what we should be focusing on. Anything longer than that is hard to see besides the big vision and the big vision that we have here at freedoms rising is that uh, freedom will win out in the end and truth will overcome but it's going to take a tremendous amount of effort on the behalf of or on the part of people to start to you know wake up because freedom's on the rise no they need to uh Well, we're not going to say what people need to do, but we're more by leading by example in what people could do with the resources and available tools that they have, like the supercomputer they have in their pocket, which is so dangerous as CNN, because you're actually going to look things up and try to find get to the bottom of things. Now, to play a little devil's advocate and go back to that, I do think that there's some truth to what they're saying in that. If you don't have a method and you don't have a process and you aren't able to sort of bounce around the ideas and argue with yourself and, you know, put out work like this where I have to actually, you know, maybe second guess some things or go back and say, you know, I had that information a little uh, jumbled, which I'm going to get into here in a sec with some mistakes that were made in the last episode even. But they're right if you're just going out there and gullibly, credulously believing in everything that you read, and suddenly, like, anything that you can dig up on the internet you believe is true, then that—that that is a problem. If you're, you know, so, some kind of an idiot, or just, like I said, a, a credulous, like, uh, sort of uh, willing dupe, or a willing, uh, you know, kind of dumbass that wants to just believe that what the guy said on youtube was true and that they are right that there are people out there like that that you know they say they call it like going down the youtube rabbit hole but there's also that the other side of that there are ways to discern you know and for yourself by doing your own research on certain things you know hey let me resource this is there is there something that says that the pcr tests uh, are effective at picking up the AIDS virus? Is there something that says that the PCR tests are good at uh, identifying coronavirus? But then we look at the creator, Carrie Mullis, of the, corona- of the PCR tests, who says, you know, at that high of a cycle threshold, you could pretty much make anything look true. You could make any virus look like somebody has any any kind of problem you know, in the, if you magnify the cycle threshold to an extent where it'll pick up anything in the body, because we all have like little aspects of all kinds of little things in our bodies and viruses and bacteria and bits and pieces of all kinds of stuff. It doesn't mean that we're going to manifest the symptoms of those things or that the virus is going to actually become something that's a problem in your system. But, you know, that's the, that's the do-your-own-research part. Is this an effective way to test? And if you look into, like I said, even just source it back to the inventor who died short, shortly before the whole thing started, and we've played that into the bio war several times, the clip of him saying that uh, Anthony Fauci is using this in the wrong way and he's a liar, and Kerry Mullis would say that directly to his face and that he kind of wanted to get at Kerry Mullis and uh, start to call him out in public, but you know, fortunately for Fauci and crew, uh, Mullis actually passed away before he could have a chance to really get out there on the public stage and announce these things, or be there as an op- counter-opposite voice to what was going on uh, during the early stages, and even up and still till now. They're you know they're not going to go back and say, oh, you know, we were completely incorrect about the whole way we were testing this thing, and you know that was not an efficient way. Now, I don't then say, so there's nothing going on. Again, I think there are biological agents being weaponized and uh, they're out there, let's say. I'm not going to say where they were released or leaked or came out on somebody's shoe. You know, I don't have the smoking gun evidence to prove that. But I do think that, like Francis Boyle says, that these are biological weapons that are out there. And they were gain of functioned and uh, you know made more virulent to infect humans, as uh, we heard the uh, guys there at the in response to the vaccine. The experts speak, uh, Doctor McCullough and McDowell on two in uh, August of two thousand one. That guy that you heard speaking was Doctor McDowell, and he. He does his own research, apparently. You know, because down there in Africa, they know that they can't trust uh, the the scientific consensus. They've been uh, burned enough that they're not stupid anymore. They've been hurt enough and seen enough of the uh, malice and um, the cruelty, basically, and the testing and experimenting done on African people that have uh, proven to be very problematic and they're not thinking bill gates is out there to save the world and that he's you know going to come save everybody with his vaccines they're hip to it similar to like how india uh, has gone gone and uh, on the defense against the bill and melinda gates foundation for what they think they're doing is coming in and saving them uh, really what they're going in and doing is trying to depopulate the planet by sterilizing killing maiming injuring people with these Uh, these uh, Frankenstein shots that they give people. And uh, essentially that's what's gone on with the mRNA vaccines, uh, or mRNA gene therapies, which then later got redefined to be vaccines. But the man you heard speaking there uh, was pulling up his own research. He was pulling up Dr. Francis Boyle's uh, citations. He was pulling up studies and evidence and things that are out there in reality that you can point to and say, well, what's this, you know? And he wasn't just, you know, riffing like, I think, I think it's all just this or that and I have an opinion and no, like, no, he had his, his smoking gun evidence that he presented. And I thought it was pretty powerful and it wasn't put there to scare you or, you know, I think people that don't know about these things, or that think that they already have the information, are going to hear that and think that's just fear mongering, or that guy's, you know, obviously anti science, or he's like a Trump supporter, or whatever they want to label him for not, you know, just joining in with the choir and actually speaking out and having a voice against these things and doing it in a way that was highly effective, in my opinion. And so, uh, Dr. Michael McDowell, reading from his website, uh, Michael McDowell Uh, in the about. He is a founding senior pastor of Rafa Revival Ministries, a thriving autonomous full gospel assembly in Diago Martin, Northwest Trinidad. Dr. McDowell had earned doctorate in theology in 2001, a master's degree in theology at MTH in 1999, a bachelor's degree in pastoral theology and a diploma in theology in 1990. Dr. McDowell had also done undergraduate work with the University of West Indies in 1975 at McMaster University, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, 1979-1980. to 1980. And the level of subjects were secured at Fatima College. He taught physics, chemistry, and biology at a secondary high school level for many years. He ran track and club, and so on and so forth. I'm not going to read his entire thing here, but I'm just giving you a little background on who that was that you heard from. And at that conference, they it's like a five-hour link that I'll put in the show notes, where there are lots of other speakers who come up and talk about things in their region going on. And it's a very interesting thing. They tried to get Peter McCullough on there, and he like kind of they had some technical issues. We're going to hear more from. Peter McCullough later. We're going to give him the floor for, uh, let's see. How long is that clip from him? It's, uh, about an hour and it's from the Planet Lockdown series. It was released his full interview on June 19th, 2022. And we're going to go. He has lots of experience in the field treating, uh, the symptoms of COVID-19 and you know, it didn't go, what he was seeing in the field didn't go along with what they were announcing from on high, from the dictates of what sort of treatments that were approved and what sort of treatments you could use. Of course, they were trying to control the narrative to make it seem like the vaccines were the only thing that were going to help us and there was nothing else. We just have to wait around for the vaccines, you know, stay away from everybody, put on your mask, uh, you know, social distance. There's no, there's nothing else we can do Period, the end, when there are many highly effective treatments now uh, out there that have uh, been discovered. And we're going to let Dr. McCullough, you know, provide that information from his own hands on experience in the field and versus me trying to break it down or trying to give you, you know, the secondhand information from him. We'll just let him break that down. So uh, let's see, moving through, we're going to do sort of a tab closing exercise here. And then I'll wrap up my segment, and we have a few more segments from a few speakers on the outro here that we're going to get into, some very interesting things to cover. Uh, but I just want to remind everyone, again, now here's where I'll do my corrections from last week. One is not necessarily a correction, it's just that I didn't give the full detail of why we were bringing up that study um, from the that you can find on NIH.gov in the PubMed you know, articles that are posted there. And it was from uh, Virologica Seneca was the publication, and that was the Efficient Assembly of Large Fragment of Monkeypox Virus Genome as a QPCR template using Dual Selection-Based Transformation Association Recombination. So that showed where they were actually isolating and manipulating the monkeypox virus. And the reason why that was of interest, because the Virologica... Seneca is a publication from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. At the bottom of that article, it says, Articles from Virologica Seneca are provided here courtesy of Wuhan Institute of Virology, the Chinese Academy of Sciences. And uh, if we read a little bit more about that publication, it says in their aims and scope section, Virologica Sinica is an international journal which aims at presenting the cutting-edge research on viruses all over the world. The journal publishes peer-reviewed original research articles, reviews, and letters to to the editor to encompass the latest developments in all branches of virology, including research on animals, plants, and microbe viruses. The journal welcomes articles on virus discovery and characterization, viral, epidemiological uh, epidemiology, Viral Pathogenesis, Viral Host Interaction, Vaccine Development, Antiviral Agents and Therapies, and Virus-Related bio techniques. Virologica Seneca, the official journal of Chinese Society for Microbiology, will serve as a platform for the communication and exchange of academic information and ideas in the international context." So just, you know, the, that the, the people that published that study are represented by Virologica Seneca, which is a courtesy of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, uh, the same place that we're be, being told that SARS-CoV-2 leaked out of. And then we had Boyle saying that, hey, look, the monkeypox thing looks exactly like that, and it looks like it was created to be a gain of functioned that it was created that it was made to be more virulent. And that's why we have it spreading in the rapid rate that we do in a similar pattern to COVID-19. And then he claimed that because it was a genetically engineered bioweapon. Now, again, I'm using the word claim. I'm not saying it, it is everybody. Look, look, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's another bioweapon. We're not doing that. We're, we're pointing to information and facts that are out there in reality that and we're doing our, our own research, right? CNN like this particular article here that I have next from the Department of Operations for 1970, the United States Senate library hearings before a subcommittee of the committee on appropriations house of representative 91st Congress first sec- session. And then it shows the people that were there. It's HB one five Oh nine Oh part five of the document. And I will link to this in the show notes but it's called synthetic biological agents. And here it says, there are two things and why I'm bringing this up. Oh, Actually, I think I had a second. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to correct on is that I was sort of riffing last episode. It's not like I was pointing to things and going, look, look at this article that says this. I was just sort of riffing off the top of my head. And I mentioned BSL 4 labs that were funded in Ukraine. And I don't, Think, and it doesn't look like Ukraine has any BSL-4 labs. So that was a mistake on my part. Again, it's sort of cringy when I heard myself say that, and I was like, oh, man, I don't know. And it wasn't, again, I wasn't reading from something. I wasn't like, here's the facts. I was riffing and said that, and now I'm correcting it. And I know that that doesn't go a very long way because what I said is already out there. I'm not going to go and like take my article down. I'm doing my correction here. And I'm open to feedback from the audience as well. I'm open to people uh, even who are close to me in life saying, hey, look, I think you got this information wrong here. Surprisingly, this doesn't happen often. And even people who completely disagree with my viewpoints and think that I'm a batshit, crazy conspiracy nut job, uh, don't ever actually come out and say, here's here's where I think you got something wrong. You know, hey, I like what you do, I, but but um, I don't agree with what you're saying because of this, you know, nobody ever does that. E- even people, like I said, that are somewhat in my inner circle of influence. I, who knows if they even listen, uh, people like that. And I'm not requiring them to, it's not a, it's not a requirement for me to have a relationship with another human being that they have to agree with me hundred percent on everything or listen to all my podcasts. Like those are not, those are actually really not requirements about, uh, the relationships that I choose to have in my life and build, They don't need to think just like me. And I've, I've gotten past that the point where I try to like change people's mind and give them the facts. And the podcast is an outlet for that. So that I'm doing that in a somewhat, you know, passive, not that I'm not being active, but passive in the way that I'm publishing it out there. It's out there. It's there for you to listen to. If you want to listen to it, you can. And sometimes we make mistakes and then we correct those. And we're, I'm open to having people help me do that. That's what I'm saying is that if someone were to be like, hey, look, this area in this thing that you were saying is is incorrect and here's why, I would totally be open to that. I would really appreciate that. That could make a whole episode in itself. Hey, you know, I had a person come and tell me these things, and then I looked into it, and it turns out they were right, and I had this aspect of the information wrong. But mainly, again, we'll just rely on things that are out there. And again, back to this uh, Department of Defense uh, subcommittee, that had this uh, section on synthetical biological agents. This is a document out there that exists. And it says, and I just want to show that the, the, the government was concerned about thing these things back in the seventies, right? That they, so when we're concerned about it or we're raising the flag and saying, look, this is part of this, you know, continuation of events and the, the the warnings that they were trying to throw out there and the events that they said would happen potentially. Maybe this is it, right? So we're not, it's not crazy to say that these things go on in regards to bioweapons being intentionally spread out there by our government or other governments or or bad actors even. We have to keep open to that. that. That way we can better understand and better protect ourselves and our family by actually knowing what's possible and then connecting the dots to see if it's something that we should, you know, relate to this, or is it not? Is it just a complete red herring? And so from this, it says, there are two things about the biological agent field I would like to mention. One is the possibility of technological surprise. Molecular biology is a field that is advancing very rapidly, and imminent biologists believe that within a period of five to ten years, it would be possible to produce a synthetic biological agent an agent that does not naturally exist for which no natural immunity could have been acquired. Dr. Uh, Mike Sykes, are, are you doing any work in that field? Dr. MacArthur, we are not. Dr. Mr. Sykes, why not? Lack of money? Lack of interest? Dr. MacArthur, certainly not lack of interest. Mr. Sykes, would you provide for our records information on what would be required what the advantage of such a program would be, and the time and cost involved. Dr. MacArthur, we will be happy to. Then it says in parentheses, the information follows. The dramatic progress being made in the field of molecular biology led us to investigate the relevance of this field of science to biological warfare. A small group of experts considered this this matter and provided the following observations. All by... Number one... All biological agents up to the present time are representatives of natural occurring diseases and are thus known by scientists throughout the world. They are easily available to qualified scientists for research, either for offensive or defensive purposes. Number two, within the next five to ten years, it would probably be possible to make a new infective microorganism which could differ in certain important aspects from any known disease-causing organisms most important of these is that it might be a refractory it might be refractory to the immunological and therapeutic process upon which we depend to maintain our relative freedom from infectious disease number 3 a research program to explore the feasibility of this could be compiled in approximately 5 years In the total cost of 10 million. Number four, it would be. The 10 million would be like nothing nowadays, right? It would be like 10 billion at least. Number four, it would be very effective to establish such a program. Molecular biology is a relatively new science. There are not many highly competitive scientists in the field. Almost all are university laboratories and they are generally adequately supported from the sources other than the DOD. However, it is it was considered possible to initiate an adequate program through the Natural Academic of Sciences Natural, National Research Council, the NASNCR. And then it moves on from those points. The matter was discussed with the NASNRC, That's what it is, NASNRC, and tentative plans were made to initiate the program. However, decreasing funds in CB, growing criticisms, and that's chemical, biological weapons, starting over. However, decreasing funds in CB, growing criticisms of the CB, uh, decreasing funds in CB, growing criticism of the CB, Program and our reluctance to involve the NASNRC in such controversial endeavors have led us to postpone it for the last two years. It is a highly controversial issue, and there are many who believe such research should not be undertaken, lest it lead to yet another method of massive killing of large populations. On the other hand, without the sure scientific knowledge that That such weapons. That was my little one that just barged in on me. Let's read this again because it's important. It is highly controver. it is a highly controversial issue, and there are many who believe that such research should not be undertaken, lest it lead to yet another method of massive killing of large populations. On the other hand, without the sure scientific knowledge that such weapons is possible, and an understanding... Another minor interruption from the other little one there. So... On the other hand, without the sure scientific knowledge that such a weapon is possible and an understanding of the ways it could be done, there is little that can be done to devise defensive measures. Should an enemy develop it, there is little doubt that this is an important area of potential military technological inferiority in which there is no adequate response." Actually, that's where my copy of the article ends. But again, that's where this whole hellish nightmare that we're living in now started, right? Because they just couldn't help themselves. They just couldn't stop themselves from actually, you know, continuing the research in order to, you know, stop the Soviets or whatever the idea was. And let's not forget the next article that we have here that was Black hold that I have the archive.org. Uh, resource for that archived it and it's from Nature Medicine in uh, an article that again in 2015 uh, December 4th of 2015 called Will SARS Come Back from uh, it says Copyright 2009 the Wuhan Institute of Virology Chinese Academy of Sciences and from Nature Met, uh, Medicine, the emergence of severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus SARS-CoV in the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome MERS-CoV underscores the threat of cross-species transmission events leading to outbreaks in humans. Recently, Professor Xing Shi Xi and Zhang Yi Yi from, and I'm sorry, I'm not, I don't have Mandarin background or Chinese. From WIV, in cooperation with researchers from the University of North Carolina, Harvard Medical School, Zona Institute of Microbiology, and etc., examined the disease potential of a SARS-like virus, CHCO-14, cove, which is currently circulating in Chinese horseshoe bat populations. Using the sars cove research genetic system... The scientists generated and characterized a chimeric virus expressing the spike of a bat coronavirus in a mouse-adapted SARS-CoV backbone. The result indicated that the group 2B viruses encoding an SHCO14 spike in the wild-type backbone can effectively use multiple orthologs, orthologs of the SARS receptor human angiotensin-converting enzyme 2, ACE2, replicate uh, efficiently in primary, in primary human airway cells and achieve in vitro titters equivalent to epidemic strains of SARS-CoV. <clears throat> Evaluation of available SARS-based immune therapeutic and prophylactic modalities reveal poor efficacy both monoclonal antibodies and vaccine approaches failed to neutralize and protect from infection with COV using the novel spike protein. On the basis of these findings, they synthetically re-derived an, infection, an infectious full-length CHC, uh, SHCO14 recombinant virus and demonstrated robust viral replication with in vitro and in vivo, both in vitro and in vivo. The work suggests that a potential risk of SARS-CoV re-emergence from viruses currently circulating in bat populations. So they learned how to infect humans, and we'll just read that part again because I kind of screwed up the sentence. These results indicate that 2B viruses encoding the SHCO14 spike in wild-type backbone and can efficiently use multiple orthologs of the SARS receptor human angiotensin converting enzyme 2, the ACE2, replicate efficiently and primarily in human airway cells, and achieve in vitro titers equivalent to epidemic strains of SARS-CoV. So that's the sort of research that that thinking leads up to is, well, we better, you know, have this stuff you know, being manipulated in a lab and then make it so it can actually infect human airway cells uh, with the ACE2 receptor binding. Now, we're going to hear more about that later, but we're just doing sort of a review here. And uh, then we're going to get into the clips that close out the episode and sort of put a bookend on where we're at with the uh, bio war barrage at the moment. So, and this next is an article from the guardian and it's from 2018 June 19th 2018 it says synthetic biology raises risk of new bioweapons us report uh, us report warns the rapid rise of synthetic biology a futuristic field of science that seeks to master the machinery of life, has raised the risk of new generations of bioweapons, according to the U.S. report, into this state of the art. Advances in the area mean that scientists now have the capability to recreate dangerous viruses from scratch, make harmful bacteria more deadly, and modify common microbes so that they churn out lethal toxins once they enter the body. These three scenarios, picked out as threats of highest concern in review of the field published on Tuesday by the U.S. National Academy of Sciences at the request of the Department of Defense, the report was commissioned to flag up ways in which powerful technology might be abused to focus minds on how to best prepare. Which sounds great in itself, right? I mean, that's, that's something you can use to justify this, but The problem is, is that we're then developing things that were not created in nature. And that's the level that we're at now, folks, like for all the slow boys out there, for all the people that didn't quite get it, you know, the weapons that are used today in modern warfare are biological bioweapons, right? They're not going to be dropping nukes and having the chance of another country nuking back. and I mean, that could happen also. But instead, it's covert. It's things you can't see, things that you can't necessarily know about even, that are out there being used to, it could even be used to destroy the West from Russia, right? We we have to keep our minds open to that as well. Or it could be being used by the United States government to control the narrative. Uh, look how, and then, you know, entities like the, the World Economic Forum, uh, the United Nations, the... Uh, central banking cartels that are behind these organizations, uh, a front for the Anglo American empire, uh, really, you know, looking like it's America. But uh, if you look, we can see that they now control the nar- narrative of the world, right? They got the spotlight on them. They have the microphone. They're able to blast out to the masses and all, all of a sudden just declare a monkeypox virus, right? Like we saw uh, Ted Rose do from the United Nations there, right? This, he's just like, oh, no, it's a pandemic or it's a emergency. It's a worldwide emergency just coming down from the top, right? When, you know, I don't think they have all the details together and I don't think we have all the details together. But apparently, you know, with no one dying at all, period in the United States, we've got to be worried about the monkeypox virus as a global emergency, right? And they, Then can control also the implementation through their front organizations like the marketing arms of like, well, it looks like you got to get your Google chip now then, you know, we just have to be able to know like what's going on in your body. And what we also had in the opening clips that I forgot to cover was U.S. Representative Jason Crow talking about how there could be specific bioweapons based on a certain genetic makeup or your own DNA Right, but where, and then we willingly are out there getting swabs shoved up our nose, like not, not I, I, I never did that, but people just p- providing the DNA samples and, you know, letting them track, trace, and database everything about us, and not realizing that even what if, what if that, yeah, even in the hands of bad actors, these things could, you know, potentially be used to target certain people, certain groups, certain ethnic groups, and we had also uh, the, the doctor that we had open up there who I'm pulling up his name cuz I forgot it already Dr. Michael McDowell talking about that that if there are treaties and different uh you know international treaties written against the threat of gene race specific bioweapons or eth- ethnic uh, specific bioweapons then there must be research and departments of a bioweapons industry that's creating gene-specific bioweapons, right? (laughs) Or race-specific bioweapons. And uh, let's get back to where we were in the rundown because I can get off track. But again, uh, that Guardian article was just a summary. We've covered that in the war before. And let's just move forward. We're going to have a clip now from... And again, those things were just to cover that these things are real threats that talking about, you know, SARS CoV 2 potentially being a chimeric virus created in the, in the lab that was then intentionally released out there or accidentally or leaked or whatever is not like way far out of this world. Crazy conspiracy theory. The guys must have something wrong with them type of thing, right? That's not. Um, rational to think that way. That's, that's the brainwashing. That's, I, I, I saw an article that came out from ABC that was like more evidence comes out that the wet, the wet market lab, uh, the wet market theory, the jumping from the bat is way more uh, likely than any scientific. I mean, they're just ignoring the science. They're ignoring all this information. They don't tell you any of this stuff. They don't, expose Fauci for who he is and what he's done. And then they just lie They just pour open up your mouth and just pour garbage in it. They just pour it in there and people love it. People eat it right up because it's their nice little safe area that they don't have to feel threatened and they can just believe what they're being told and not have to think for themselves, not have to do their own research. Right. And they'll just keep gobbling up that, you know, sewage just being poured down their mouth. They love it. Right. Well, someone who's not going to do that here is a uh, Dr. Bean who we're going to have in the next clip who goes over a study uh, an American study that he'll he'll cover the details on the study, but it's um an article here from the newsroom.heart.org. The headline says coronavirus spike protein activated natural immune response and damaged heart muscle cells. So he's going to go over a study which shows In animal studies and um, other methods, that the spike protein is damaging the heart. And if we go back to Michael Yeadon talking about why would they actually use that part in the in the vaccines? Now, Doctor Bean doesn't tie that in, but the spike protein that they're having uh, be created by the genetic, the gene therapy mRNA shots going into you are making this spike protein all over your whole body, right? And then we see uh, these evidence of all these people having various cardiovascular and young people having like uh, myocarditis, whatever. I'm not going to try to correct myself if I get the words wrong. It's early in the morning. I haven't had enough coffee yet, but (laughs) myocarditis... Uh, not not a laughing matter at all, but uh, SARS-CoV-2. And then this study is showing that that spike protein is actually very uh, dangerous and harmful to the heart. So we're going to let Dr. Bean cover that information. And then the next clip I have after that, just fumbling through like my giant list of notes here, uh, is McCullough and Dr. Peter McCullough from that Planet Lockdown series that we mentioned earlier. Then we have... The future was planned this way by by Mr. Alan Watt, who's going to tell us about the big boys at the top there that are always moving and shaking. and it's, it's a grand Fabian conspiracy, you know. It all ties back to the Rockefellers and the Carnegie Foundations taking over the public education systems and the allopathic medicine and chemicals that they want to poison you with. They're always poisoning you. But he's not wrong. I mean, Alan Watt nails it and sometimes doesn't drop a lot of resources because he has so much knowledge on the topic that he's just riffing sometimes. But then he also points to a lot of great books and his research on the topics of the things that he's into. It's just amazing amount of knowledge that this man has. So I'd encourage you to, at times when you can go listen back to more of Alan Watt and his, sometimes I say Alan Watts. I mean, Alan Watt, Alan Watt who lived up there in the great, Uh, northern Canada, eh? and he was always trying to stay warm with Seamus the Dog. And then we will close, and so, you know, Alan Watt from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, he passed a couple years back, or maybe it was just last year, in 2021. And then we're going to close after that with a song called Technopolis Burning, and it's on the YouTube page Phantom Flag Topic. Uh, Phantom Flag Technopolis Burning and it's like sampling like Larkin Rose and Klaus Schwab is like sampled in that so it's a good uh upbeat musical jam to exit us out of this and I have out of time for the day so I'm going to allow these other clips now to be played into the show again we'll be back in a couple weeks from now or so after I get back in the saddle and plan out some new content and have possibly some different formats coming up that are in the works. And I also am dusting off these old webcams and things and trying to get a live stream setup back going. I, you know, have found that also a productive way to produce and have a video and be able to share the video. The clips would be interesting uh, for now. We're doing audio only and we do have audio feeds out there that you can find all over the place. That's mainly where we're trying to exploit the RSS we're trying to get out there and use that technology to penetrate the cabinets no we're trying to get out there and uh you know exploit the fact that these are technologies that aren't really heavily known and used people think podcasting now is like youtubing and those are two separate things so we have video versions that I put up just for ease and uh, redistributing out to a wider area but the main thing we're doing here is the audio podcast so it's meant to be audio only it's not like I Don't understand the power of video or that I don't know how to do it. It's just this whole series was envisioned to be at least started out as doing audio only. If I can get some recordings done while we're up there at Freedoms Rising, maybe an interview or two, I will put those into the next shows that I have. Uh, I'm not really big on doing that at the Jackalope. You get out there, you're in the woods, you're dry camping. Uh, Previously, there was no internet. Now, I think a few people are going to have Starlink this year. But to support me all you all I'm asking for now is that you go to tylerblower.com drop in your email in the subscription areas that way I can keep you up to date with new episodes and the latest information of what we're doing here on the show and then uh that's it for now for me I think today and if I forgot something it'll it'll haunt me the whole time that I'm away but I'll be able to come back and pick up where we left off as far as freedom's rising goes maybe getting into some more solutions-oriented content, people out there that are doing cool things, that are united in the fight for freedom. And other than that, everyone have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next time. But again, we're going to go to Dr. Bean, then McCullough, and then uh, some outro music, and that's going to wrap up today. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And wake up. Freedoms on the rise. Have a good day, everyone.
9: All this is Dr. Mobin Sayed from Drbeen.com. Welcome to one more show. Today's discussion is about a publication in American Heart Association's online journal. It is a news about a con- about a study that was presented in AHA conference about a couple of days ago. It was on 25th. Today is 27th. This study says that for the first time in vitro. And in animal studies, the researchers has, have found out for the first time the mechanism that is responsible for cardiotoxicity by the spike protein. And they say that this is the reason that the heart damage occurs in severely ill or hospitalized patients. I think it is understandable that they did not touch the vaccines um, discussion. And uh, instead, their statement that I would like your comment on, they have an interesting statement in there, which when I read it, it kind of seemed um, two opposing statements connected together. I would show it to you a little later. Let's start the discussion. What they're saying is for the first time, they found out how the spike protein directly damages the heart tissue without binding with the ACE2. This is the important part. No ACE2 involved. Just the spike protein and the heart and the damage occurs. Let's see how. So this is drbean.com. There is a link in the description of this video, which is to the plan for one-time payment to get access to another 900 premium lectures on drbean.com this is one this is the study this is american heart association's newsroom part of the site and if you see here coronavirus spike protein activated natural immune response damaged heart muscle cells so we'll go over this study beautifully done study I do not fully agree with their conjecture or the discussion about the vaccine or a statement about the vaccine we'll see. These are some other links that are here as well. Here we have Dr. I believe he is the one, Dr. Zixiang Lin. He is the lead researcher on this study. And some more links over here. Now, before we go further, this is also interesting to keep in mind. This study, I had discussed this study about four months ago. This is the presence of the signs of cardiac damage in children after receiving the vaccines. So we have done this discussion before. I brought it here just for the possibility of also thinking that if spike protein can cause damage in COVID patients, then maybe the patients of vaccine injury that may have heart damage, this mechanism may be applicable there as well. So with this, let's start. I'm going to go over my drawings and we can then go over the study itself. So these are the gifts for humanity. They're continuing. Here is what they saw this is now very important to note. They proved in this study that this is only SARS-CoV-2 spike protein and not any spike protein. So they actually used another coronavirus, which is a human coronavirus. They used that spike protein from that virus as well in these tests. And they found out that the spike protein from the human coronavirus did nothing to the heart tissue. While the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, SARS-CoV-2 is also a coronavirus, but only this spike protein causes damage. So here, let's look at what was the damage before we look at the mechanism. They say in their discussion, spike protein is directly toxic to heart tissue and here there is a spike protein SARS-CoV-2 spike protein what you observed was in in vitro in a petri dish they observed that when they cultured the spike protein not the whole virus but the spike protein they they had attached that spike protein to a pseudovirus and then they had sent that in so when the spike protein was cultured with the cardiac tissue cells the cells became bigger and they became large, which in actual heart will mean heart will grow, heart will enlarge and heart will fail. So that is one big observation they had. They said in lab, spike protein caused heart muscle cell enlargement compared to the other Tissue, heart tissue where spike protein was not present. So that is a big problem here. Then what else did they observe? They also injected these spike protein viruses, pseudoviruses, pseudo-sARS-CoV-2, not the actual SARS-CoV-2, in mice as well. And they found that in the mice heart, now consider this: that these mice did not have, did not have the ACE2 on their heart cells, the ACE2 that is human ACE2. So just for a quick aside here, there are mice available for testing that have been modified genetically to express human ACE2 on their cells. These mice on which they did the test did not have human ACE2. That means the chances of spike protein to bind with the mouse's ACE2 was not there because spike protein does not bind to mouse ACE2. Even then, mouse's heart had the, or mice's heart had the following problems. Number one, cardiac dysfunction occurred hearts failed. Number two, the hearts enlarged. There was hypertrophy of the cardiac tissue. That means the tissue enlarged, it became thick. We do not want the heart tissue to become enlarged or thick. That reduces the amount of uh, the the space in which the blood can be collected. It increases the oxygen demand. there, There are so many issues, functional issues with that thick heart and it fails so they saw that the hypertrophy occurred or heart enlarged they also saw that heart remodeled this is really bad remodeling means and i was discussing this with the cool beans on our walk this saturday if you do not know we do a zoom walk every saturday 7 p.m pacific time And I was mentioning that it is important for all of us, especially nowadays in this stressful time and in this evil pandemic time, that we make sure our hearts are not continuously under stress. Because as the heart continues to churn and pump and palpitate and and have arrhythmias, it starts remodeling itself. It starts reshaping, just like our other muscles and tissues reshape that remodeled heart becomes very difficult to bring it back. So here, remodeling occurred. Hypertrophy occurred, remodeling occurred. And then inflammation was observed. So this is not a process of binding to ACE2. Now, I want to give an idea of other conjectures that are out there as well. Some studies have shown various mechanisms. The mechanism that I'm going to discuss today from this study is not the only mechanism, but it is an important mechanism. So for example, other mechanisms that have been out there in studies or conjectures or hypotheses are, for example, ACE2 and spike protein binding in the heart, causing disruption of cardiac endothelium and disruption of the cardiac muscle. Infected cells, heart has ACE2, so direct infection of the heart cells, and they talk about that in this one. Circulating antibodies, autoantibodies, damaging the heart, and that is a discussion which was uh, done for the first time by the German scientists for vaccine injury. Thrombosis, which is also a cardiovascular problem, endothelial vascular damage, reduced oxygen levels. Cause of the respiratory system issues, which then cause oxygen reduction, which in turn causes the heart to fail or have stress because there is more pressure in the heart to pump more plus heart itself is getting less oxygen as well. So it is getting damaged more increased burden on the heart. Then CD 147 engagement of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, and that causes red blood cell clumping Blood cell morphology changes. I've done these studies that the cells shape change and that causes difficulty in the cells to move in the blood vessels. That increases viscosity of the of the blood that causes damage to heart and blood vessels and other tissues. Yeah. Inflammatory markers present, interleukines, chemokines, mitochondrial damage that in turn causes the oxygen utilization issues, ATP utilization issues, and tissue damage. So there are many hypotheses. There are many theories, some proven, some not. We would see a new one today. Now, also, please keep in mind, severe COVID doesn't happen in everyone. Vaccine injury doesn't happen to everyone. So keep that in mind. I don't want you to be nervous or scared. I want you to be informed. So back here. So now, if you just wanted to know what happens, this is the final summary slide, and then you can disengage if you want. <laughs> so here it is. What they saw was, when they placed SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, not the other var- variants, the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein activated TOL-like receptor 4 on the innate arm of the immune system. What does this mean? Innate arm of the immune system are the first responders to the foreign material. The cells that are part of the innate arm are macrophages, dendritic cells, neutrophils, NK cells, etc. There are some more specialized cells as well. Out of these cells, macrophages dendritic cells, but not NK cells. These cells have tall like receptors on them. These cells have little arms on them. These arms have little hands. Those hands are to recognize various patterns around them. Imagine these cells are moving around in the universe of your body and they're touching everything around. And that the system that is touching the hands and the arms that are touching, these are called Petron recognition receptors or prrs toll like receptors are a type of prr these little receptors are specially sensitive to lipids and lipopolysaccharides so these guys become activated by spike protein but only sars-cov-2 spike protein i'll keep repeating this because it's this very important when the macrophage or dendritic cells, TLR4 is activated. Then what happens is it starts releasing inflammatory molecules, interleukines. Remember, interleukin-8 and interleukin-12 and interferon, does it do colony forming units and so on? So a bunch of interleukines are released, which cause inflammation, which then cause damage to the heart tissue this mechanism, this pathway of the damage is ACE2 independent. So you put spike protein in a mouse where ACE2 is not necessary or will not bind, even then that mouse would have cardiac failure or heart damage. Why? Because of this mechanism. Now, please remember in this mechanism, at least in this study, I showed you various conjectures. There are many other studies. In this study, they're not talking about spike directly binding to the heart. They acknowledge it, that there are other mechanisms that are proposed for ACE2 binding or spike binding to heart tissue proteins. This study is about spike binding with the innate arm cells, innate arm cells releasing inflammatory molecules, which in turn cause damage to the heart tissue. this is the basic mechanism and that's it if you just wanted to see the summary here is the summary spike of SARS-CoV-2 only causes direct tissue toxicity of the heart tissue by using innate arm immune system cells this mechanism is not observed by the spikes of other coronaviruses this is a specialty of this spike protein i do not know why but that's what it does this is also a mechanism that is ace2 independent this is not ace2 binding that is doing it this mechanism is also antibody independent it is not that the innate arm is causing the acquired arm to become active and that is attacking the heart That would also attack the heart because innate arm is becoming active. This is innate arm activation causing local inflammatory markers which are then activating other natural killer cells or other innate arm cells which are then attacking the heart tissue cells and damaging them. Okay, now I'm going to continue with the details. So as I said only SARS-CoV-2 spike. How did they do? They actually added another human coronaviruses spike. That was the hcov nl 63 Brought that spike in as well. And interestingly, that spike did no damage to the cardiac tissue. And it is actually understandable. We have so many human coronaviruses in our throat. 86% of the population has coronaviruses in our throat or in our oropharyngeal areas, nasopharyngeal areas, we don't get cardiac damage. So they confirmed it, that other spike proteins do not activate the immune system in the heart and do not cause damage to the cardiac Mm tissue. Then, what they did was they brought the spike, human, sorry, SARS-CoV-2 spikes, into lab mice. And what they observed was, these are those mice, these are not human modified mice for human ACE2. These were natural mice with the natural mouse ACE2. Even then the presence of spike protein caused cardiac tissue damage and serious damage to the mice. Which proves, what does it prove? It proves spike protein did not need to bind with the ACE2 to cause the damage. Then what they did was they, they said all right let's see if this is happening in humans as well so they took the biopsy of a deceased covid patient and they looked into their heart's tissue and what they found is really interesting it actually made me uh, it gives me chills to saw their observation their observation was and before I tell you the observation let me back up in healthy hearts this does not happen, what you're going to hear. In this patient's heart who had died of COVID, they saw an increased number or amount of toll like receptor 4 proteins and the spike proteins. Now, spike protein, one could say that if a patient has been in a severe state, then the virus is everywhere. So, spike protein can be seen everywhere. But activation of toll like receptor system innate arm more than the other arm that means there would be direct damage to the tissues because innate arms function is to kill the pathogens and to kill the cells whichever thing comes in front of it it's going to demolish that so this heart was actively demolished by the attack from the innate arm which was started and triggered by the SARS-CoV-2 spike proteins. So they found the trace of that or the proof of that by finding TLR4s and spike. Spike, of course, this is a virus, so it would not be present in healthy people. TLR4 is also not found in healthy hearts. That was interesting and worrying. So then they talk about the mechanism. Last two, three slides now. They talk about the mechanism. So now the why does this innate arm start why is the spike there why is this immune system reacting in the heart that is what they do not know they know spike is there they know immune system became activated which nobody knew before that innate arm became activated we all were conjecturing and actually there are studies to prove it that there are autoantibodies so that may also be the mechanism that is actually the mechanism in addition, they found just through the innate arm there is an attack. And so what did what did they find? So why did this happen is what is a conjecture. They said it is possible that heart tissue becomes infected by SARS-CoV-2, and those infected cells they express the in antigens on their surface, and that causes the innate arm cells to become active, which is the normal mechanism. So here is a heart cell, here are these the viruses, this is the expressed spike protein or the pieces of epitopes of spike protein. Here is the innate arm becoming active, and that then causes the problem. So this is a conjecture. They are seeing that this happens in terms of cell and protein. they do not know why it happens. Then the second possibility, this is also from their discussion, they say maybe the spike is in the heart because spike got spilled in the heart or they use the word shed, shedding of the spike protein in the circulation from the area of infection and now that spike has gone to the heart and then it is now attacking or becoming a reason for the immune system to attack the heart. So that is their second conjecture. Third is not a direct mechanism they have given, but they have simply said, we are also aware that there are studies or research that have shown that spike protein causes problems with the cardiovascular system in general, which will mean that when the, heart, the, when the blood vessels are not working correctly, Then blood pressure would go up and down, which would then put stresses on the heart, which can then cause damage to the heart. So here I represented that. So here is a SARS-CoV-2. We know this is not this study before the other studies, and I am expanding on it. They simply said we know that there are studies that show that there is a cardiovascular system problem, and that causes stress in the heart as well. We know that spike protein can bind with the ACE2 in the heart and then cause ACE1 and ACE2 imbalance and that causes pro-inflammatory state to become activated. Plus, when the spike protein binds with the ACE2, it reduces the nitric oxide functioning or production of the cell. Now, when the nitric oxide is not produced correctly, it is a reactive oxygen species neutralizing agent. So, the ROS neutralization doesn't occur and the cell starts becoming damaged so just the binding of this spike protein to any cells ACE2 can cause that cell to die or become troubled when the when the spike protein binds with the endothelium that is the blood vessels surface cells inner surface cells i made it from outside but imagine this virus is inside and it is binding here When the spike protein binds with the endothelium of the blood vessel, that is the cells of the wall of the blood vessel, it causes the same problem there as well. Nitric oxide production is reduced, which in turn causes the smooth muscle. So under the blood vessel walls, there are smooth muscle cells whose job is to help dilate and constrict the blood vessels to control the blood pressure. So when the blood cells cells are dysfunctioning and not producing nitric oxide, then the muscle, smooth muscle cells that are under in the walls of the blood vessel, they do not function correctly. And the blood vessel loses the ability to expand and constrict to regulate the blood pressure. It cannot regulate the blood pressure anymore. And that causes sudden drops in blood pressure that causes palpitations that causes weird heartbeats that causes inflammatory state of the endothelium because when the ACE2 is occupied, then ACE1 is dominant, ACE2 is less dominant or less functional. It also down-regulates ACE2. The result is there is more inflammation. When there is inflammation inside the blood vessel, that causes thrombosis as well. So clotting would occur, thrombosis would occur, constricted blood vessels would occur, less blood flow would occur, which would then promote further thrombosis. The result is blood clots would occur plus low blood pressure would occur or high depending upon what is the state of blood vessel and what is the state of clots and how much uh, viscosity has changed, which would put stresses on the heart. So heart is under attack in so many ways. Less oxygen because lungs are not working correctly. Viscosity of the blood is changed the nitric oxide production is changed, the antibodies are produced, the spikes are attacking the heart, the innate arm is attacking the heart. It's just, it's a chaos in the body when the spike protein goes and does these things. So then in winding up, once again, what did they find? They found that spike was directly toxic To the cardiac tissue through the innate arm. One, it was only the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein that did it and not the other human coronaviruses. Two, and three, it caused the cardiac tissue in vitro and in mice. It caused the cardiac tissue to enlarge, hypertrophy, become big, have a demand for more oxygen, was poorly functioning, In the mice, the heart failed. In the dish, it became bigger. The cells became big. That is what they saw. This is the first time a study that demonstrates these mechanisms to such detail and connects the dots is there. So here, it is actually an interesting study. Chicago, July 25, 2022. I'll just very quickly show you how this study is and i i hope that their full manuscript and the full study would be forthcoming in a few days this was their presentation and the news about their presentation and the mechanism that they revealed in their press re- release so this with this thank you very much please like subscribe and share and if you would like to support this work there are links in the description you can use dr beans link to purchase Dr. Bean Plan, which is a one-time fee. It is not recurring. It is one time. And there are 900 premium content in addition to these videos on YouTube. So take advantage of that. If you would like to support further, you can use, you can become a patron. All the links are in the description. You can become a patron. You can become a member on Substack or Locals or a member on YouTube or many other ways. (laughs) You can use PayPal as well. You can buy me a coffee too. So with this, thank you very much. And I would see you tomorrow. So a few questions here. Linda says, which variant? So I think that they have not disclosed the variant. Their whole manuscript would tell us. Um, Let's see so tiffany says scary stuff so i wanna keep balancing it i said that in the beginning too but sometimes people skip around in the video and they do not they catch one statement or two i wanna balance it not everyone who gets covid becomes severely ill not everyone who gets vaccine becomes severely ill so those who become ill these are the mechanisms that may be at play but this is for sure spike does it and SARS-CoV-2 spike, for me, what is really uh, curious is that what the heck is wrong with this spike that it does it? What is it so much of a difference that others don't? Roy says, why would this not happen to everybody, his logical damage to heart muscles? The reason is our immune systems. So when our immune system binds with something, then it becomes active. It is possible And fortunately, in majority of us, when our immune system binds with the spike proteins, it just doesn't care much. It doesn't become overwhelmingly active and start attacking. It is very similar. And I've been saying it for about two years. It is very similar, just like allergies. Not everyone is allergic to, let's say, peanut butter or peanuts. And why not? We do not know. There is genetic material. There are so many factors. But only 20% of the people are allergic to various substances to which the remaining 80% are not. Similarly, fortunately, it's not even 20%. In the case of COVID, 20% become ill, very similar to allergies. And then 4 or 5% end up in the ICU and a smaller percentage die as well. This virus has that tendency. We are seeing it. Robin says, if you appreciate this lecture, please show Dr. Bean some love by clicking the like button. Yes, like button. Only click once, don't click twice. (laughs) Denise, they have not disclosed the variant. Hopefully, they would uh, disclose that in their uh, manuscript. Susan says, doesn't the vaccine use only part of the spike protein? No, that's not true. The vaccine's most of the vaccines that are mainstream, they use the whole spike protein. The, it is slightly modified and the genetic material is stabilized, but it is the whole spike protein. This paper is in violation of Facebook's misinformation. What? This is paper that is pr- printed in American Heart Association's news, newsroom. And if I go here, this is American Heart Association site. I do not know what Facebook is up to. So I wanted to have your, let me share my screen. Just one thing. I want to have, I'm going to put a statement in front of you. And I need your your opinion of that. So here is the statement. I stopped when I read this. Let's read it. They said, our data show that the spike protein from SARS-CoV-2 causes heart muscle damage. That's why it is important to get vaccinated and prevent this disease. But isn't the vaccine itself also a spike protein? So anyways, um, this is in American Heart Association. So, uh, Springfield says, Springfield says, thanks. Is this true of spike proteins produced by vaccine as well? No. So, their study, I mean, we have to be fair and uh, correct to the researchers. As I just read their statement, they're saying, actually, go get the vaccine. And their study is for the SARS CoV 2 and severe patients. I don't think many researchers who want to be published in the mainstream, go near the vaccine issues? I think they will over time, but not yet. So Michael says, does it translate to vaccines as well? Look, it translates to spike protein. For example, they did say spike protein from SARS-CoV-2. However, they did not present any mechanism of the SARS-CoV-2. They actually plucked the spike proteins of the SARS-CoV-2 and put them on a different variant uh, virus and infected the mice with that and had the same results. So eventually, they're talking about the spike protein. However, I saw some media outlets that categorically said it is SARS-CoV-2 that does it. So I think it depends upon the leaning and biases that would they would color it one way or the other. But if you read the actual paper, which I would... Request you all to do it. It is the link is in the description. If you read the paper, they actually took the spike protein. If I can actually show you right now. Okay. Search for Vero. Uh, here. To investigate the impact of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein on the heart, researchers cloned the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein and the NL63 spike protein, human coronavirus, into the AAV-9 viral vector. They didn't use the SARS-CoV-2. They only plucked its spike protein, put it on a AAV-9 virus, and sent that virus in the mice. So, that is essentially equal to sending spike protein. The AAV9 viral vector was delivered into lab mice to activate the spike protein in the heart muscle cells. They found that the AAV9 mediated the SARS CoV 2 spike protein and not the NL63 spike protein caused heart dysfunction, hypertrophic remodeling, enlargement, and cardiac inflammation. This is directly from the American Heart Association site. So if I understand this, it's not about SARS-CoV-2. They're not saying that the N-protein from the SARS-CoV-2 or or let's say some other antigens of the SARS-CoV-2. It is the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2. Skyfrog says, this sounds like what I have. Skyfrog, um, get well soon. Please let me know if I can do anything. Doug, I'm so sorry. You have asked this so many times. Can we discuss the supplement day skipping? Yes. Yes. I'm so sorry. It's I forget. Not that I don't want to do it. I forget. Randy says, does the amount of spike protein? Of course, the more the spike protein, the more um, immune system activation. Sometimes immune system just becomes dysregulated and it doesn't care for the offending agent. That is what happens. The cytokine storm is where immune system doesn't care anymore. It just triggered. So, Brad says, how can they differentiate between it being COVID? No, they cannot. They are just saying we took the spike protein from the SARS CoV 2, put them on another virus, threw that virus in a mouse and see what happens. Or we plucked the spike proteins, cloned them without the virus, and put them on the petri dishes. So, this was not a virus. So, they use the word SARS CoV 2 as well. However, in reality, they are talking about the spike protein. I'm sure that they're using the word SARS-CoV-2 and the media is using that way as well. And they, some media has just actually changed it to COVID. And actually here, they say, it's very interesting. Their title, I cannot imagine what has happened to the medical coronavirus spike protein, activated natural immune response, damaged heart muscle cells this is what they did. So anyways, I want to keep this small. Can you please do me a favor? Please like, subscribe and share. Maybe share it with those who may have been having some cardiac issues. This might give a clue to their doctors for how to manage. Thank you very much and I would see you tomorrow.
1: I'm Dr. Peter McCullough and I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist in Dallas, Texas. I'm in an academic practice within a large medical center. And I spend about half of my time in clinical practice uh, of both internal medicine and non-invasive cardiology, largely in office practice. I do have hospital duties uh, in terms of on-call uh, periodically. And the rest of my time, uh, I'm an author, uh, I am a reviewer and clinical investigator. I've been uh, dedicated my entire life to uh, clinical science in medicine. I've had a focus on heart and kidney interactions, how the heart and kidney communicate with one another, and I've been fortunate to be a part of some wonderful collaborations that has led to advancements both on the in vitro diagnostic side and therapeutic side of what's called cardiorenal medicine. And then when COVID-19 hit, I redirected my, my academic efforts towards the pandemic crisis realizing as a medical specialist and one trained in epidemiology as well as uh, the clinical sciences uh, that I could help. And I attempted to help not only my patients in need with acute COVID-19 who faced potentially a fatal illness, I attempted to help broadly help my country and help the world better handle and navigate its way through the pandemic crisis. I have over 660 peer-reviewed publications in the National Library of Medicine, Uh, over 50 on COVID-19 in an author block, either as a primary author or as a collaborator. And I've worked hard uh, to be participatory in the key groups to help uh, advance the understanding of COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, the virus, COVID-19, the illness, and our pandemic response.
10: And did you get involved with the White House uh, Task Force in the first few months? I was not involved in
1: the White House Task Force. I would have loved the opportunity and Uh, would would have willingly served on White House Task Force 1 or 2. But I was contacted early on after I had started a a large uh, prospective study of hydroxychloroquine at my center. I was contacted early on by Peter Navarro in the White House to help in some type of navigation of an emergency use authorization positioned on hydroxychloroquine. And the options were to either remove the emergency use authorization since the drug was already available on the market or to expand the emergency use authorization to allow inpatient and outpatient use and then relieve the need to have uh, investigation of new drug applications for each additional research protocol we wanted to do with that product. So we chose to uh, petition and put in a letter to the FDA to expand the emergency use authorization from inpatient to outpatient use. And that was my first involvement with the White House. And I think probably my first largely public uh, noticeable publicly viewable statement to the country and to the world that I was involved in COVID-19 treatment.
10: So we've been experiencing on uh, what what Alexander Henry on called called the uh, kind of like a, a treatment nihilism if you will for for COVID-19. Can you explain wh- why it, why the why that is in relation to the EUAs? The term has been used, and in fact, uh, I've
1: published on this in my field of cardiorenal medicine and the term is called therapeutic nihilism. There are some conditions where in the minds of clinicians, there's a thought pattern that potentially a particular patient with a particular disease may not be deserved of an attempted treatment. That's called therapeutic nihilism. It's actually happened with uh, kidney dialysis patients where it's thought that, well, they're on dialysis. Potentially, uh, this type of intervention uh, may not be worth it in them. Sometimes therapeutic annealism has been applied to um, end-stage liver disease, alcoholic liver disease, uh, drug abusers, sometimes end-stage cancers. Uh, In some uh, perspectives early on with the HIV therapeutic annealism, it was a thought pattern, and it was a behavioral pattern. You'll see the term in the literature. Uh, Once we uh, started the pandemic response Uh, And and as the virus uh, basically started to travel across the globe, uh, December, January, February, and then to March of 2020, initially, the response among physicians, certainly American physicians, as we were watching what was going on in Milan, Italy, the response was retraction, uh, focus on personal protective equipment, focus on anti-infective techniques, Focus on self-preservation, shut down clinics, shut down operating rooms, shut down surgical centers, heart catheterization laboratories. Get ready for a wave. And we actually talked about waves. So we started to organize hospital services, started to organize uh, ways of managing not only the usual patient volumes and usual clinical activities, but also an anticipated tsunami of patients with acute respiratory COVID-19. But almost all of the efforts were dealt with reducing spread of the illness and reducing contamination of healthcare workers almost exclusively. Uh, there were some early efforts on what to do in the hospital beyond mechanical ventilation, and that involved use of intravenous drugs such as uh, a, a polymerase inhibitor, remdesivir. But there was no discussion of how patients would be treated at home to prevent the risks of hospitalization and death. There were two bad outcomes. It was clear within a matter of weeks uh, that the illness could, could be as mild as a common cold that someone would have at home, like they have typically four times a year, or it could be so severe that patients would go on the mechanical ventilator and despite mechanical ventilation, they would succumb to the infection. Doctors like myself started to receive calls from patients who are testing positive with COVID-19, whether it be uh, in the outpatient uh, community testing centers, whether they've been to the emergency room or, in fact, in the hospital. It was my observation that fear was driving decision-making among physicians, that a lot of these decisions uh, appeared to be heroic. It almost appeared as if it was self-sacrifice. Some doctors or nurses would say, okay, I'll do it. I'm younger. I'd I'd be more likely to survive if I acquired COVID-19 from one of the patients. Other doctors uh, worked uh, quickly to shut down their clinics, and it was economically viable because they could switch to telemedicine. And as telemedicine came in very, very quickly, uh, we realized that patient visits could be done over a computer or over a phone. Uh, But it wasn't too long before we understood that there were large numbers of patients who are contracting COVID-19, and we'd be contacted over the computer, over the phone, and there was an opportunity for treatment. It was clear that there was a therapeutic opportunity. In other doctors' minds, to them, it was clear there was no therapeutic opportunity, and therein lies the term therapeutic nihilism. Why some doctors saw a treatable condition, and other doctors clearly saw an untreatable condition, that Question will be a question I think historians will try to answer for years to come.
10: What, what is the emergency use authorization? At? The, the fact there can't be a, a conventional treatment or an available treatment, and how did that influence, you think, the protocols for uh, discouraging other treatments than, than vaccination?
1: Most doctors like myself had never heard of emergency use authorization. We had never heard of EUA, but we learned about a regulatory mechanism uh, that was relatively loosely conceived to allow the rapid entry of a new product that could serve in some capacity to help in the setting of an emergency. And what I learned over time is there had been actually many different products that had come forward temporarily under the emergency use authorization mechanism. One of them was the anthrax vaccine, which was temporarily used uh, to try to spare some of our uh, U.S. personnel from the risks of anthrax. So when we heard about emergency use authorization, to me, it sounded wonderful. We wouldn't have to go through a laborious FDA process, and that can last anywhere from... Uh, five to 20 years to get a a product on market. We needed products now. Uh, But the first sign I think something was going wrong was to take a drug like hydroxychloroquine, which was already available on the market. It didn't need an emergency use authorization. What happened was basically catastrophic for hydroxychloroquine. There was a series of events, including a falsified paper published in Lancet, Uh, That's probably very intentional in terms of its publication and its persistence uh, uh, on the Lancet uh, uh, website for a couple of weeks to ultimately the U.S. FDA saying, do not use hydroxychloroquine, period, in COVID-19. That was in the summer of 2020. And they never revisited that recommendation. And so that should be a sign to everyone. In an emerging pandemic, we need probably monthly review of where we are on scientific advancements because things are going to change. If a body of evidence emerged since the FDA declaration on hydroxychloroquine for its non-use, if the science emerged that hydroxychloroquine did have a role in a particular subset or in a particular uh, period of time uh, in the illness, the FDA should be ready to revise that recommendation. To my knowledge, it's never been revisited. Many, in my view, have misunderstood the emergency use authorization mechanism and the tension between early treatment and vaccination. A vaccine that comes on any market, whether it be emergency use authorization or full FDA approval, the vaccine would be approved to prevent the occurrence of COVID-19 as an illness so that would be the indications. Vaccines are indicated to prevent an illness. Treatments are approved to treat an illness, and we treat an illness to affect some outcome. So for instance, uh, a, a drug that would be used to treat COVID-19 would be done so would be done to reduce the risks of hospitalization and death. So the first drug that received emergency use authorization was hydroxychloroquine, which was effectively a limitation on its current available use. So that was actually an inappropriate use of the emergency use authorization. The second drug was remdesivir. Remdesivir was not clinically available and it received an emergency use authorization for the treatment of COVID-19 in the hospital to reduce the progression of the illness uh, defined as, a, as an endpoint that involved uh, doctors calculating the score based on need of oxygenation and progression to mechanical intubation and death. The third agent to receive emergency use authorization was bamalivumab. And bamalivumab uh, is a monoclonal antibody directed against COVID 19, and that was indicated to reduce the risks of hospitalization and death from COVID 19. And now the fourth agent to receive emergency use authorization was the Pfizer vaccine but the Pfizer vaccine was indicated to prevent the binary occurrence of COVID-19 the upper respiratory illness so the emergency use authorizations cannot be viewed as being competitive to one another because the indications are different i hope that's clear because people have said oh the suppression of early treatment that was in order to enable the vaccination no the vaccines came in as the fourth fourth use of an EUA in the pandemic and i i think it's a misunderstanding of the emergency use authorization.
10: I, I was under the impression that the emergency use authorization for the vaccines wouldn't have been authorized if there was an early treatment, and that was the rationale behind there, all the persecution of ivermectin hydroxy. That
1: is wrong, because there already was an early treatment. There already was bamilivimab, which was already there. It was already EUA approved in November before the Pfizer vaccines were... So obviously they weren't competitive with one another. They can't so how be. do you
10: explain this persecution of, of ivermectin it's deeper and more
1: disturbing than that people have used the eua as an innocent explanation uh, again it's it's been i think a misinterpretation mm-hmm. the eua is not the reason why early treatment was suppressed so what's the reason it's my view that if early treatment was broadly supported by all governments by all societies let's say a sequence multi-drug approach where we use four to six drugs whatever if it was broadly supported The prevailing wisdom is that it wouldn't be so compelling to take a vaccine. If there was the suppression of early treatment, effectively, that's promoting fear, suffering, hospitalization, and death in order to prepare the population for mass vaccination. So it's actually far more disturbing to think about that motivation as opposed to simply a regulatory issue that had to be tackled. Can you imagine a thought pattern where a government official would say, I really want to have early treatment, but I can't because I need to save the EUA mechanism for the vaccines? That was never articulated. It was never articulated. In fact, I think it was deeper than that. Uh, Do you know that it was January of 2020 when France took hydroxychloroquine from over-the-counter, and they made it prescription. They made it more difficult to obtain. Before any thought of vaccines, broadly in the medical or community, pandemic,
10: really.
1: hydroxychloroquine goes from being prescription in France, I mean, over-the-counter in France, to being prescription. It's harder to get. The public can't get a drug that they could potentially use to relieve the intensity and duration of symptoms. It occurred in January of twenty. 20- 20. I filed an investigation into the drug application and, and got it over a weekend uh, uh, towards the end of March of 2020 to try to use hydroxychloroquine to protect the workers and the healthcare system from contracting COVID-19. That was around the time of buzz of a study done by uh, Didier Rialt in Marseille, France, suggesting that um, some of the indices of the viral infection could be lessened by hydroxychloroquine. Early in April in Queensland, Australia, a law was put on the books that a physician could be punished with imprisonment if the physician attempted to use hydroxychloroquine to help a patient. Why in France in January and why in Australia in April were such drastic moves made for hydroxychloroquine if it was completely ineffective? And your thinking is to drive the fear. It wasn't done for diphenhydramine. It wasn't done for naproxen. It wasn't done for azithromycin. It wasn't done for doxycycline. Why hydroxychloroquine? Why do you think? I think because there were early data. With SARS-CoV-1 and other experiments where it was widely known in the National Institutes of Health, as well as the research community, that hydroxychloroquine had antiviral properties, particularly against SARS viruses. And I think because of that, it was known that if hydroxychloroquine came into broad government-endorsed use, there would be a destruction of the population prep for mass vaccination. I think it was very intentional and it was Specifically, to prepare the population to accept a vaccine potentially against their will. People would have to feel that they would die if they don't take the vaccine because there's no treatment. There's not a milligram of treatment that can help them at home.
10: Do you think that there is a medical rationale for vaccination of a disease like COVID 19?
1: I fall into the camp where I think from the very beginning it was ill advised to attempt to vaccinate the world against a highly prevalent viral upper respiratory infection that ranged from asymptomatic to lethal and that was very amenable to risk stratification it's my view if there was a safe and effective vaccine that it would have had only very limited use in individuals who are at high risk for hospitalization and death largely senior citizens those in domiciliary facilities and those working in nursing homes and nursing facilities. And in the United States, of 330 million people in the United States, I would estimate a vaccine program, if safe and effective, would involve no more than 3 million individuals.
10: It's strange to recommend a medical, any kind of treatment or therapy or preventative thing for entire population. It just kind of goes against the idea. Of, or I don't know. What do you think about that? It's, it's never done. So for pneumococcal
1: pneumonia, which can be serious in senior citizens, we have recommendations for vaccinating older individuals against pneumococcal pneumonia. Shingles, which can come out in older individuals, we recommend based on age. Uh, Younger individuals who can get human papillomavirus infections, it's younger individuals. But this idea that this vaccine would span all the way from the oldest person in society down to a six-month-old baby, and within a year, that thought pattern... Everyone should be disturbed on this. It can't be one size fits all. Uh, You know, minimally acceptable vaccines should last at least a year, at least a year, at least be 50% effective. And, And if it can't meet those criteria and injections start to happen more frequently than a year, one can realize that one, it wouldn't be a feasible vaccine, that it certainly couldn't be kept up and injections that occur more than once a year in my view as a doctor sound more like chronic medical therapy than a vaccine and this idea that the entire population would be subjected to an injection as regular medical therapy for an indefinite period of time is untenable
10: what's been your biggest moment in your in your field where you're like this the narrative in in the press doesn't match your your expertise. To me, the most dramatic change is a year ago,
1: the vaccines as introduced were purely voluntary, purely voluntary. And how something can go from purely voluntary to mandatory in such a short period of time, I think everyone should be disturbed. If they are so compelling, why weren't they mandatory to begin with?
10: Okay, so one, one claim, I just want to address one claim the press is making a lot these days. Uh, the unvaccinated have higher uh, instances of hospitalization and death than the vaccinated. C- can you address that claim? Do you think that's efficacious? Or
1: I've been suspicious on claims of hospitalization according to vaccination status from the very beginning. Because in the randomized trials program, And that's the only chance where we can see vaccine versus placebo. And the largest program is the Pfizer program. No difference in hospitalization. None. So when the randomized trials don't show any difference in hospitalization, and then we start to see hospitalization according to vaccine status, initially in Israel, then United Kingdom, then in Germany, Denmark, South Africa, and there's no reduction in hospitalization according to vaccine status in the observational data, when the U.S. hospitals proclaim that it's a crisis of the unvaccinated and that the vast majority of people are in the hospital uh, who are unvaccinated, immediately we should be suspicious because it's not concordant with randomized trials. It's not concordant with what's going on in the world. So how can this happen in the United States? How can suddenly the vaccines in the United States, protect against hospitalizations where it doesn't do it in randomized trials and doesn't do it elsewhere. And in my view, this represents fraud. And this is what I mean by this. When an individual is hospitalized, there's no adjudication for why they're in the hospital. And people are tested. People have an ankle sprain. They're tested. And the CDC recommends asymmetric testing, meaning vaccinated don't get so heavily tested, but unvaccinated do. So we have asymmetric testing. We have no adjudication for why they're in the hospital. So they could be in for other reasons. People can test positive after COVID nineteen intermittently for months. There can be asymptomatic test positive. So if someone doesn't have any symptoms of SARS CoV two and they do have a positive test, chances are it's false positive. So we have that going on. the The, the third reason is that there's an assumption. That if someone comes in the hospital and they actually have COVID-19, they're put in an isolation room and it's assumed they're unvaccinated in the United States. I think all of that is intentional medical and public health fraud to scare Americans into thinking that the vaccine protects against hospitalization when indeed it doesn't.
10: And and what do you think has been going on? Because I think everyone I've talked to who's gotten the vaccine has gotten the flu or COVID or whatever you call it. Yeah, why is it we're seeing everyone who's vaccinated is getting, getting COVID these last over this last year?
1: Well, we learned early on, actually, it was in the FDA briefing booklet in November of 2020 uh, 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 20 by Pfizer, in Pfizer's FDA briefing booklet, and then reports from Israel and France, that after the first shot of Pfizer, one is more likely to develop COVID-19 than placebo. So that was the first sign that, wait a minute, something's up. If we take the vaccine, why are you getting COVID-19? That's in the EUA filing? And that's in the EUA documents. There's an explosion of cases after shot number uh, one. And then shot number two, it basically equals out. But the point is, and there was a paper, and the first author is Liu and colleagues, that suggested that maybe an immature library of antibodies is somehow facilitating the entry of ambient SARS-CoV-2 into the body, in somebody freshly vaccinated. Now, what we see with the Omicron variant, and to some extent the previous Delta variant, is that somebody vaccinated is more likely to get COVID-19 than someone unvaccinated. It explains this, 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 what's called a reverse um, uh, efficacy or negative efficacy, that paradoxically, if one takes the vaccine, they're more likely to get COVID, and particularly with boosters. And that's the reason why the World Health Organization has said, listen, Uh, you know, the the boosters potentially may weaken immunity and make one more susceptible to contracting COVID-19. So one of the reasons why we know something's wrong is when the World Health Organization recommends something and then countries do just the opposite. So a good example of this is the World Health Organization is not recommending boosters. In fact, they are putting out cautions against boosters. Many countries are actually mandating boosters Another example, since 2020, the World Health Organization recommends against the use of remdesivir in the hospital because now it's known that remdesivir results in more deaths than not using remdesivir. And hospitals in the United States, as an example, uniformly give remdesivir. In fact, they are strongly incented to give remdesivir. These should be signs to the audience that something is wrong. When the agencies are not harmonized, on kind of critical things like boosters or use of remdesivir, it's a red flag.
10: Yeah, to talk about red flags, I mean, we've seen that a lot in this. The WHO will recommend a lot of bad policies, then then sort of say something reasonable, but then the bad policies are still being pushed everywhere. It is it's so like- interesting the fracturing
1: of opinions among public health agencies, and also the incongruity of what public health agencies say. And what employers, uh, states, uh, schools, what they do. A good example of this is in the summer of 2021, it became widely known that the vaccines don't stop transmission of the virus from one person to another. That became widely known. There was a whole series of events and publications. Our CDC director came out on TV and she said, the vaccines don't stop transmission of the virus. That is the only reason to ever consider workplace or school vaccination, is to stop transmission. If someone can be fully vaccinated, come in the workplace and transmit the virus to someone else,
10: the vaccine is completely worthless from an employment perspective. Is there a medical basis to fear unvaccinated people?
1: There should be no medical basis of fear regarding any type of illness according to vaccination. Vaccination is only to protect an individual, and it's only a matter of choice. I took the vaccine for hepatitis B to protect myself against hepatitis B. Is it is it a crucial decision in my life? No. Uh, is it something that is reasonable to do, give me a margin of safety? Yes. Is it a perfect vaccine? Of course not. Now, with COVID-19, The first distorted thought is that a vaccine is a permanent mark. Like a vaccine is a tattoo. You're either vaccinated or unvaccinated. We learned pretty quickly by the summer of 2021 that the vaccines only last for six months at best. There were 22 studies that showed that the vaccines run out of any protection after six months. So with this understanding, after six months, Someone who's taken the vaccines is now unvaccinated. And this idea of flip-flopping from vaccinated to unvaccinated uh, is something that is, again, it's incoherent among people who are trying to do this binary classification. Among our public health officials and among doctors in the media and academic physicians at major medical centers, there is an unspoken belief that the vaccination program for COVID-19 will not work unless everybody takes the vaccine and unless everybody takes subsequent boosters every six months. So there are far more people who are effectively unvaccinated compared to those who are fully boosted and vaccinated. We have the lowest rates of vaccination right now than we've ever had in the U.S. program. It's because the boosters are not becoming popular. People see erosion in this false concept. This is a concept that everybody takes the vaccine and suddenly the disease goes away is simply not tractable.
10: And, and just to clarify, the boosters are just more of the same shots, right? The boosters are more of the same shots. The shots
1: are coded against SARS CoV 2 wild type spike protein. That spike protein has been basically ob- obsolete now for nearly a year. We have gone through a series of hyperdominant variants. We've just gone through the Omicron variant, and the Omicron variant is so different than the original Wuhan spike protein, it makes perfect sense. That the vaccines provide no coverage against Omicron and the vaccine manufacturers must agree. Because as soon as Omicron became known, every vaccine manufacturer announced that they are now going to have to make new vaccines to cover the new
10: variant. And I feel like every other day I hear this story of like, oh, my relative, my parent is, is gone nuts with the media and won't let me in the house unless I've gotten the vaccine or the booster. I mean, how do, how do you feel when you hear these kinds of stories? The vaccine has become uh, the most uh, divisive, uh,
1: biologically implausible, dangerous, uh, weaponized, uh, modern instrument of public health that we've ever seen. Because so many people have been in the grip of fear over a prolonged period of time, The provision of a vaccine, even if it's completely ineffective, even if it has tremendous risks and side effects, including the loss of life, the vaccine has been embraced. It's been embraced because it's the only thing to embrace in order for someone to achieve some type of mental security. And you can imagine a high-risk senior citizen who has been effectively in lockdown somewhere here in the United States or across the globe, who's been in fear for two years. And they are told their only pathway to freedom is for them to personally take the vaccine and everyone around them to take the vaccine. And they are hearing it from the highest government authority. Why wouldn't they feel that their children? And their grandchildren and all their members of their church and their social circles should take the vaccine so they can personally feel protective, so they can be relieved of this fear, this constant free-floating anxiety. It makes perfect sense. But the vaccine on face value is ineffective, it's frankly dangerous, people are losing their lives with it, and it continues now as a societal menace. Importantly, when companies produce biological products or medicines, they synthesize all the information. They produce a briefing booklet in what's called a core set of slides. But they also separately give all the data to the FDA, and the FDA does their own briefing booklet and their own analysis, and that didn't happen with the vaccines. So for the original approval of Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, we simply had the pharmaceutical briefing booklets demonstrating over 90% reductions in the binary endpoint of COVID-19 upper respiratory illness that f- basically occurred at home. So it's, it's an idea of preventing home COVID-19. And across the programs, there was no reduction in hospitalization and no reduction in death. Since that point going forward, all we have learned about the vaccines is bad. 100% of it is bad. In the briefing booklets, we heard about swollen lymph nodes, fever, arm pain, and Uh, side effects, which looked worse than any of our other vaccines. But we didn't see excess rates of other uh, terrible non-fatal or fatal complications. All of those came out after release of the COVID-19 vaccines. By January 22nd of 2021, we already had 182 deaths recorded after COVID-19 vaccination within a few days of taking the shot. These were reported through the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System that the majority of these reports are done by doctors, nurses, or other healthcare personnel that think the vaccine has caused the problem. The total number of deaths that occur across more than 70 vaccines, more than 270 million shots per year in the United States, not temporally related to the shot, is 150. So with 182 on January 22nd of 2020, 21. If we would have had a proper external data safety monitoring board, a clinical event committee and human ethics committee, the US program would have been shut down in February because of excess mortality and should have been shut down just because of mortality alone. But more news started to come out. By March, we already had a thousand deaths. We had risen from 182 deaths with 27 million Americans taking the shots, shot one or shot two, to over 1,000 deaths by March. And two things happened in March as inflection points. The US FDA and CDC, and the CDC made the statement on their website that not a single death was related to the COVID-19 vaccine, was caused by the COVID-19 vaccine, even the deaths that occurred immediately in the vaccine centers, which were well-characterized. People do die of immediate anaphylactic allergic reactions. And in fact, that happened. But our CDC and FDA were so bold in that Blanket statement that none of the deaths were related to the vaccine. I can tell you, as a doctor, I've chaired over 2,000 day safety monitoring boards. It takes months and months to have separate reviewers get all the laboratories, get all the hospital records, get all the clinical circumstances, and adjudicate death. The expectations were that we were going to get a safety report every month through the vaccine program. We were going to learn which vaccines are safe or unsafe and for which population. None of that happened. Absolutely none of that happened. And alarm bells started going off. A small lab in France, research group in France, in March, declared the COVID-19 vaccines unsafe and that they should be pulled from the market. A lot of people didn't hear that signal, but it turns out they were right. By May of 2021, Bruno and colleagues from South America, I'm in the author block as the second author, we had South America, North America, and Europe represented. We called attention to worldwide governments in a publication on the preprint server that said. We have serious questions about COVID-19 safety. This was sent to every government authority in the world. Dr. Tess Lowry, leading the the evidence-based consulting group in the UK in June of 2021, analyzed the yellow card system. So separately from our VAR system, separately from the UDRA or VigiSafe system, and using the yellow card system, Dr. Lowry concluded that COVID-19 vaccines used in the UK, Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca, were not fit for, for human use. We have learned in the course of a year that the messenger RNA that's loaded on the lipid, lipid nanoparticles does not degrade rapidly. A paper, a preclinical paper on the preprint server by Hulken and colleagues have shown that, in fact, the messenger RNA is recoverable in lymph nodes months after injection. It's still in the body. Uh, Elena Ogata from Harvard has shown that the spike protein freely circulates for two weeks or longer, up to 29 days, in one of her subjects after COVID 19 vaccination. Dr. Bruce Patterson of IncelDX has made the public statements on, uh, uh, on a scientific interview that in his samples, he is identifying both the S1 and the S2 segment of the spike protein in individuals who have taken the vaccine for as long as he can detect, he conjectures based on his work in the respiratory illness, that the spike protein lasts in the human body far more than a year. What do we know about the spike protein? It directly causes myocarditis. That's proven and accepted in the literature and by the regulatory agencies. It directly damages blood vessel cells and causes blood clotting. That is accepted in our literature. It directly causes vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic purpura. That is accepted it directly causes a whole range of organ injury syndromes both fatal and non-fatal and now we have the first tranche of the Pfizer released documents under pressure from a court case led by lead attorney uh, Aaron Siri and co-counsel Elizabeth Brem to the FDA and Pfizer to release their dossier the FDA reviewed a dossier of approximately 400,000 pages in about 3 months to approve the covid-19 vaccines under the emergency use authorization. Pfizer has disclosed shortly after release of the vaccines, they have 1,291 special adverse events of interest. The vaccine causes a range of diseases far beyond our wildest imagination involving every organ system in the body. I can tell you, as a doctor, the most dangerous proposition any person could ever entertain would be to take an injection of any of these covid-19 vaccines
10: so are these are these pfizer documents sort of proving a, a degree of fraud do you think if it is judged
1: that pfizer and we expect moderna and johnson and johnson and astrazeneca will be no different if it is judged that these companies have defrauded the public and they have defrauded the fda and if the fda is complicit in that event that it's certainly possible that their liability shield will be lifted. And if that occurs, we could see one of the greatest product liability debacles in human history since so many people have been affected.
10: There's been made this public fear of this virus, right? Do you think that fear matches the reality? From the very beginning,
1: and I agree with uh, Professor Matthias Desmond on this from the University again, from the very beginning, every single aspect of the pandemic in terms of threat was overstated, overestimated, and markedly inflated. Everything. For instance, communicability, this idea, which was a false assertion that the virus was spread asymptomatically spread like wildfire. And there was enormous fear. People stayed in their houses because they thought if they even got near somebody who had no symptoms, they could get it. It was never supportable. It was simply conjecture. There were papers written based on this conjecture saying 30 to 50% of spread is asymptomatic. It was never proven. In fact, we had to wait for papers later on in 2020 to disprove asymptomatic spread, which they sufficiently did. The average person thinks that COVID-19 is far more fatal than it really is. It was clear, and our CDC told this very early on that 90% of people who've died of COVID 19 had other conditions that could have contributed to the death. The uh, CDC later on came out and said 75% have four or more conditions in the same person. The Italians recoded their data and they found 97% had other conditions. So, this idea that a perfectly healthy person would get COVID 19 and die of COVID-19 became a fixed false belief in people's minds. And so this fueled even more fear. Uh, Probably the greatest example of disproportionate fear is fear of COVID-19 among parents and children. The average age of someone who dies of COVID-19 is well into the 80s. It's not in children who are under age 12. You can't find two more different people. If you, fought, you looked at someone in their upper 80s, they're a, near the end of their lifetime. Someone who's under age 12 is just starting their life. They're completely different. Those who authored the Great Barrington Declaration, which is Jay Bhattachar from Stanford, Martin Koldoff from Harvard, and Sanicha Gupta from Oxford, and all this, those who signed on were right. And historians will, will record them as being right, because the Great Barrington Declaration said, that this illness is not the same amongst all of us, and that we should only protect our seniors who are at risk of dying of this illness
10: should we be taking these the death statistics that we are constantly subjected to seriously
1: the mortality uh statistics for covid nineteen at this point in time in my view should be viewed as preliminary. I don't want to uh, downplay the seriousness of the illness in individuals who indeed have died of COVID-19. I've had patients in my practice die of COVID-19. I've had people in my close circles die of COVID-19. My point is, each and every death should be adjudicated, and the question should be answered, did they die of COVID-19 as the primary cause of death, or did they die of another illness and COVID-19 happened to be test positive in that individual? Yeah. That adjudication hasn't been done. I've seen and examined hundreds of patients who develop COVID 19. I've advised on probably thousands. I think the respiratory illness for largely is a benign upper respiratory illness, indistinguishable from the common cold without any sequelae. I think the vaccines in some individuals is a fatal decision to take this injection. Every person approaching the vaccine should know that they could lose their life with the next shot. Even if they've taken shot one and shot two and done fine, there are now case reports of fatalities on shot three. Everyone should know they could lose their life with a COVID-19 vaccine. I can't be any more alarmed.
10: Is that a credible thing that you could get myocarditis from from a virus like COVID-19?
1: The Chinese originally reported an elevation in cardiac troponin, a blood test, in patients sick enough to be in the ICU with COVID-19 respiratory illness. Well, troponin is elevated with other ICU illnesses like... Pneumococcal pneumonia and gram negative sepsis. It's not unsurprising, but there was a concern. So, heart inflammation was pursued in a series of MRI studies done among athletes and among military personnel. And in a tiny fraction, abnormalities were seen, typically less than 3%, a patch of late gadolinium enhancement was seen. But it was not a common finding. And the thought is if myocarditis happens in even severe COVID 19, it's small it's rare and it's probably clinically insignificant now usher in the vaccines and in june of 2020 fda and cdc hold their first emergency meeting on safety for covid-19 vaccines and it's because there's 200 cases of myocarditis in young individuals who are being hospitalized so they are perfectly fine unlike the covid-19 respiratory illness example they're fine they take a vaccine and then they become sick with the vaccine develop chest pain signs and symptoms of heart failure have dramatic EKG changes, it's night and day. Myocarditis with the vaccines is night and day from the isolated troponin elevation we see in COVID-19, the respiratory illness. The COVID-19 vaccine myocarditis has risen from 200 known cases uh, with the CDC and FDA in June of uh, 2021 to now, as we sit here today, over 34,000 cases reported to the VAERS system of myocarditis or pericarditis. And now, sadly, it is widely understood that the myocarditis in some tragic cases is fatal. Young men who have died and have had autopsies and independent pathologists have examined all the findings and concluded the proximate and only cause of death is COVID-19 vaccination. Everybody listening has to understand the vaccine is a killer in some unfortunate people who take it.
10: What, what, how do you believe the this vaccine is causing myocarditis? The
1: vaccine, because the genetic material are loaded in the lipid nanoparticles, and under an hour after injection, the lipid nanoparticles are are coursing through the body's bloodstream. Some of the lipid nanoparticles must land in the heart. The heart has some of the highest blood flow of any organ in the human body. The lipid nanoparticles dump off their genetic payload. It's taken up by cells in the heart. The particular cell that's been shown to do this is called the pericyte, a support cell around capillaries and cardiomyocytes. And then the spike protein then is produced within these cells. The spike protein is an abnormal protein. It should not be in the human body. And it certainly should not be in, within the cells of the human body. The body immediately recognizes the spike protein as being foreign and then directs an immune attack against the spike protein if a sufficient amount of spike protein is in the heart pericytes, there will be an immune attack against our own heart. It's now been recently uh, shown and suggested by Dr. Flavio Catagiani from uh, Brasilia, Brazil, that in fact, superimposed catecholamines, that is epinephrine, norepinephrine, and dopamine during the uh, exertion of exercise could trigger cardiac death. And we are seeing scores of athletes die on
10: the field. Some people are pointing out that That It's incorrect to call these vaccines. Would you characterize these COVID-19 shots as vaccines?
1: Traditional vaccines are either an antigen like a protein like tetanus toxoid or uh, meningococcus or um, hepatitis B. They are uh, an inactivated virus like the flu shot or they're a live attenuated virus like the shingles vaccine. But under no circumstances can we consider messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA, that codes for the production of a foreign protein within human cells, in no way can we consider that a vaccine. The reference to messenger RNA or adenoviral VNA being used as, quote, a vaccine is an attempt to normalize gene therapy. It's an attempt to basically mislead the public that they are taking a shot as a vaccine, when indeed they are taking periodic injections of genetic therapy on and every six month or more frequent basis.
10: Now, here we are two years through all this stuff. What what, uh, reforms would you recommend to prevent this from ever happening again? The reforms
1: that we need uh, in the future are as follows. Uh, We need uh, clear criteria And then we need a democratic process uh, to declare an emergency state. This is very important. An emergency state must never be declared by a single individual ever again. An emergency state must be clearly defined and agreed upon by the population of which would actually incur the uh, emergency measures by a fair democratic process. The second major reform that we need is we need full transparency from the very beginning of a pandemic. This is very important. We need full transparency from case definitions to uh, incident cases, hospitalization and death. We need beyond a shadow of a doubt a nationwide hospital census. We still don't have that. We do not know how many hospital beds we have and how many beds are filled with people who truly have COVID-19 in the United States? We're two years into this, and it's a giant mistake. I, one of my first papers I published is we cannot handle this crisis with test positivity and with death as the only two uniformly reported measures. We should never, ever mandate an experimental, investigational, biologic product ever again. In the clinical investigation stage of any product, there must be full and fair informed consent and complete free choice. Individuals, under no circumstances, can receive any pressure, coercion, or threat of reprisal. Period. Period. If a drug is fully FDA approved, that individual still cannot receive any pressure, coercion, or threat of reprisal. There must be freedom of choice, full informed consent, and then each individual can manage the consequences of their decision. That is the only way we can handle this and the next pandemics to come, if they occur uh, over the course of the next several years or
10: decades. And so how how did you get here, Dr. McCullough? (laughs) I got here because I
1: fulfilled my duty. I fulfilled my Hippocratic Oath. I testified in the U.S. Senate in 2020. I treated each and every high-risk patient to the best of my ability to prevent two bad outcomes, hospitalization and death. And I told America on the floor of the U.S. Senate, I'm not asking for permission to do this. Doctors don't ask for permission to fulfill their oath as professionals and human beings. And I don't apologize for any of it. I did the right thing in my mind to help patients to the best of my ability. To provide safe, effective, reasonable, timely therapy. That's how I got here. And in fact, it became clear to me in March of 2021, the vaccines were causing excess death. I raised alarms about the same time the French and others raised alarms. And now from that point forward, it has become abundantly clear the vaccines are causing far more harm than good. My life before COVID-19 was a wonderful blend of seeing patients, teaching students and residents, uh, a comfortable academic practice, traveling the world. I've given lectures all over the world and, and had an absolute wonderful life. I've been revered among my colleagues. I've published the first inaugural textbook of cardiorenal medicine. I've been a 20-year editor of a major cardiovascular journal, the uh, an inaugural editor-in-chief of another journal. I've been the president of a major medical society. I'm the most published person in my field and the world in history. Since the COVID-19 crisis has hit, and as I innovated and learned how to treat patients, and published, and promulgated, and led, and saved lives. I've had my employment contract terminated without due process. I have subsequently uh, been sued by the same health care system that I was previously employed by, which is effectively a strategic lawsuit against my public participation on this topic of interest. I have had the two professorships as the most published person at these medical schools stripped away with no due process, no explanation, no courtesy phone call. I've had a fully accepted, peer reviewed publication in a major cardiology journal, contracted, copyrighted in the National Library of Medicine, retracted by the publisher after it's already there. Five days before a critical FDA meeting, on vaccination in children where the issue of myocarditis would come up. I wouldn't do it any differently.
10: And I guess do you have any closing words and helping people on this journey?
1: We have to be patient with people because a central motivating driver, in fact, a central seed of this entire problem is fear. And overcoming fear is hard. And it's hard for each and every person, particularly those who are physically or mentally vulnerable. It's hard. And that's the reason why we must have compassion to bring people out of this. This cloud of fear cannot last forever. It can't and it won't. Each and every person will come out of their fear. And when they come out of their fear, there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a clarity that develops in their mind. And they'll realize that some of the thoughts that they have were distorted. Some of the thoughts that they have were not cohesive with the reality that was going on at the time. And each and every religion, each and every spirituality has a vein in it. And a very important vein is a vein of forgiveness, a vein of uh, salvation, a vein of restoration of one's constitution. One's going to have to come to that at some point in time. Some people listening to this, they've done bad things to other people. They've denied treatment. They've denied compassion. They have pressured. They have coerced. They have threatened. Or they've actually forced something that's actually dangerous onto someone else's body. And each and every person listening to that who falls into that category is going to have to come to some form of confession, some salvation, and then ultimately resolution and moving on.
8: And across the whole of the UK, they're broadening what they call communitarianism. Massive grants laid out for free sheets and newspapers and free websites and that, and be part of the community, and then bring all these different organizations together. Start off with existing groups of churches and stuff. Blah, blah. I know the whole format because I've read all their, their think tank plans and how it works. Then they start telling you, be greener, uh, or stop eating meat, blah, 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 Then they put out these local volunteers, these commissars to check on you, and so on So far gone, it really is If society's got problems like Britain has, including with littering or anything else that that That's a sign that something else is wrong Your culture, your whole culture and your tradition has been destroyed and that's why you're seeing the signs all around you And the mess that's in the streets And all the rest of it That's deliberate And telling the folk Oh, we've got more commissars coming out To start finding you and charging you If you don't comply with this, that, and the other is isn't going to fix it But I'm digressing off the topic here The future was always planned this way Now getting back to glyphosate and so on So the, the, all the reports right now Always tell you You've got to start thinking about what you're eating. This is well, Roundup was developed to eliminate most weeds from genetically modified crops. And that's what it was. It was a big, massive corporate plan. Corporate. Big, big corporations. Massive corporations. The chemical industry involved in them, right? And genetic engineering And all the rest of it To change everything And to bring down the population I read this stuff years ago Before they even Made me all this stuff About population reduction All the things they could do Better than Russell Had it in his own books From the food That would feed the people To the drink and water that they'd add to it To the needle Even mentioned the needle They could change all of society And here it is So it's, it's, it's not no paranoia involved in what I'm saying here And Bertrand Russell belonged to every top eugenics group that happened to be there He belonged He was in the groups with population reduction Eugenics with Julian Huxley And on and on it goes The whole kit and caboodle The whole The Macy group The Frankfurt School he, he worked with them all for recreating society All of them And the the so-called, what you thought of as, as the far left Which isn't really the far left at all The Fabian Society, all the different groups Lord, Bertrand, Russell Anyway, this means that growers are using more Roundup Which could only exacerbate potential negative health effects on people Who consume those products Eating organically grown produce may help to reduce exposure to some Pesticides and herbicides But it's not guarantee that the products are completely free to potentially harmful chemicals And that's true They've even allowed them to, to label things Now as organic when they've actually used These kind of diff- different kind of pesticides And so on, depending on which U.S. state or Canadian province you're in But yeah, you can't keep getting that stuff Going through your system, your blood And and through your organs And then into your bladder too And Down come the men with their prostate cancers, etc. etc. Excretion of the herbicide glyphosate in older adults between 1993 and 2016. Another article. And it says use of the herbicide has increased since 1994, blah, blah, blah. And it goes on to talk about again, that's the the JAMA, what we call JAMA network to do with uh, defects on, on. society, with the pesticides, etc. This says health comes from the ground up. Very interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Health comes from the ground up and in a natural system, it would be. Charles Massey says, yet chemicals used in agriculture are causing millions of deaths. Susan Chennery meets the writer, intent on changing everything about the way we grow, eat and think about food. And it's quite interesting about Southeast Australia. And how it used to be there, the natural world and so on How the, the people, even the aborigines, really talked about the spiritual system of the earth and Much like the American Indians and so on But how it's changed, how it's changed As is most of our cereal crops, the soil, beans, the corn Are all predicated now on the world's most widely used chemical Which is glyphosate, Roundup Massey says. There's mounting evidence that it's one of the most destructive chemicals ever to get into the system. It main effect is on the human guts, your intestine, and your entire immune system. And that's why everybody now, by the way, has got problems with the stomachs. And I saw it when it happened and I talked about it. I was the only person that talked about it on there. And I talked about it on there because I saw it in the pharmacies. When the pharmacies suddenly had whole See, initially, and I noticed years ago when everybody started to get allergic to everything and suddenly whole aisles would be antihistamines. Just things that used to be prescribed, but in prescription only. Oh, bingo. So you now could buy them straight off the shelf. Why? Why was it really bad to have that happen before, but now it's okay to have that now? Well, the next step was when suddenly, at the same time it was announced in Canada, by the way, Only because it broke out in Britain, the whole news that we were getting tested as a guinea pigs for all this GM stuff and the pesticide stuff along with it. Because it said Canada had made secret deals with the big agribusiness companies to test the population all all, without us knowing about it. And that we'd been on it for 10 years already. Within that 10 years, I noticed the, the sudden obesity. It, it, all, it wasn't just the amount of food. No, it, it was literally changing the, the, the physiology of the people. And also, I, I, I noticed too that another big shelf suddenly appeared. I was always with stomach problems. And things which, uh, drugs that used to be prescription only for proton pump inhibitors, as you call them, that they really reduced the, the, the production of acid in, in the gut, etc., in the stomach and the gut, were being, oh, you just buy over the counter. Why would that be? At the same time, you're you're, you're all being tested as guinea pigs was because they already knew what it did to you. and, And because Canada already had central databases in Ottawa. I read the articles many years ago when they put the darn things in. They collected all the data of every Canadian, including all their medical history, in real time. All the doctors offices were putting the stuff in, clinics, hospitals, boom, daily. And they they could let their pulse it they knew it damn well what was happening to the people's health. So what did they do? Oh well it we'll, was we'll just to encourage them to buy this and I'll keep them quiet. If it reduces symptoms it'll be less of a of a blowback, you see. You gotta you gotta use your own brain, your own eyes. Oh it's bad to have all that stuff for years and years and years or fifty years. Oh it's bad to have that with a doctor's but Oh it suddenly you can buy it. Over there, yeah, just, just go and buy it, help yourself Start thinking, folks, so they have a, a, a complete contempt for the general public They won't use their own brains And that's very, very important, it's awfully important, folks Just like Maxwell, the, the big mogul in Britain who ripped off the public for millions of pounds and Then fled the country who, in, in the movie, which is true, uh, the book was the same People who were invited to dinner on his big, big uh, one of his big corporate buildings And they would have, have it on the roof, said by a butler and all that And lots of wine and drinking and, and then they go and pee over the edge on the people passing below And people says, oh, we can't do that The, 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 the people will notice and we'll get churned on no. no. And, and Maxwell says, no, the people, they see, they see nothing, they notice nothing That's the attitude That is the attitude of the elite folks and the psychopath. That's their attitude. Complete contempt. Albert Pike said the same thing. That the people who will not use their own intelligence, meaning their brain, their mind, their intelligence. If you won't use your, your own mind, then, then you are, by choice and consent, because you must consent to be used you are a stake on the table and a beast of burden by choice and consent. There you go. That's what you are. And that's what they say. And that's standard amongst all the elite and the Huxleys and all the rest of them too. The Julian Huxleys. And with incredibly good psychology techniques, psychological techniques and, and neurosciences and so on and massive indoctrination, you're been trained, being trained and trained just to accept it all. The Engineering of Consent That's what it's called Engineer Consent Bernays and many others, but after him, said it, said it too Anyway, it says uh, the evidence is that affects the gut and the immune system Though it's not the sole factor and it's a complex thing But it's the gut that drives our whole immune system It's our second brain It goes on and on and on about uh, scientists who believe we are entered a new geological epoch The life-threatening Anthropocene Where human impact has permanently altered the Earth's geology And sustaining systems causing ecological destruction, etc, etc, etc So you've got eugenics completely interwoven with it. All this stuff, remember, they try to find ways to terrify the public To give up all their rights And that's what they hit upon a long time ago Oh, we're destroying the planet, we're, 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 we're dangerous, blah, 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 blah Give up your rights, feel bad about yourself, give up your rights and that's what you've got And then, as Queensland Dairies close, where will fresh milk come from in the future? Mm-hmm. As he's faced with an aging workforce, one dollar milk A poultry farm facing price and pressure from the south Queensland dairy farmers are strong to keep their businesses then they go on and on and on about it too. You're going to understand they're going to do away with everything that's good protein and, and milk and eat meat too. Is getting, the UN has already pushed for, for for eliminating that from your diet completely under the guise of saving, you know, um, the earth again and cause, uh, and they cause flatulence and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. Every excuse under the book that the, the club of Rome came up with in their think tank to find ways to get you to give up all your rights. And invented it all. Doesn't matter because they've trained enough people to believe all. As they spray the skies like crazy. I'm also going to put up tonight too some articles to do with the big corporations that are are obviously funding the geoengineering (laughs) and what's happening. Also, one to do with the, with the smoke smells. that They've thought it be this, oh, it's probably African dust that's coming in with the, the hurricanes across Europe and so on. And, and the sky's red and yada, yada, yada. And, and then the, the planes, stacks of planes were being grounded because they're smelling the smoke. It was a kind of sulfuric smell. This is the stuff they're putting in the spray. They've added to the spray now. That's what it is. Maybe that'll a link up as well. So here's one company, for instance. There are many of them. They're into things like weather modification, advanced materials for atmospheric and environmental technologies Interesting Now this company too is right into uh, pharmaceuticals, electronics, aerospace, defense, automotive, uh, optics, green, green technology That's all this stuff, you know, that Nanoscale stuff, etc., etc., and um, and they use mines, got mines in different countries. They use obviously to get all the stuff out that they're well using on you. They've done analysis in atmosphere after they can do crystals and so on, X-ray diffraction, etc., etc., etc. Big time. This is not novice stuff. They've been at it for a long time, obviously so they manufacture numerous products for customers in the weather modification environment uh, science industries including nucleating agents tracers remember they were spraying stuff in the skies before in Britain elsewhere and and, uh, there were cancerous uh, tracers and so on anyway other advanced materials applications include cloud seeding storm prevention meteorological support services and environmental monitoring they can also bring in storms and create them as we well know, uh, American Elements maintains industrial-scale production for all its cloud seeding and weather modification materials. Additionally, we provide customer guidance on topics such as the selection of appropriate materials for aerial and ground-based cloud seeding, trace gas detection, blah, blah, uh, chemical formation and material safety data. Uh, selected products applied to the weather modification industry Are ammonium iodide, bismuth iodide, calcium chloride and potassium chloride so Silver chloride and silver iodide solution And silver potassium iodide and so on this, You actually have links to uh, add it too, From the website to the primary source of the posts and previous posts Interesting too to say please join us and our customers and co-sponsors Chevron and Rio Tinto at the 30th annual meeting at SeaTac, S-E-T-A-C, November 15th, 2017 in Minneapolis. And so there's one big meeting that they went into. Now Rio Tinto, as we all have mentioned before too, and they're, I think, a big, Roth, a big Rothschild agency. I think the, the, the Queen had shares in it too. And also have Chevron and so on. And, and this is for the world, so stuff the stuff that that's spraying. Big business, a eh? massive business. And uh, this is what they're telling you, this kind of stuff So it's the... <laughs> I tell you it's... <laughs> it really is something to think about, it, not it? This is what they can publish and tell you about Quite some indeed But that's how it's done, isn't it? But anyway, this, this American Elements Corporation Is the largest metals and chemical supplier in the world Interesting corporation is a weather and climate modification material supplier to major military and defense industry entities. There you go. And then they do it all and they blame you for causing strange weather. Because they must make you believe it's all your fault. So give up all your rights And let yourself be managed And stop in a uh, post-industrial world For you in a way And going into a post-consumer world For that's a gen 21 Then you just can't live Like you've lived before And you've got to go into What really is a form of poverty But they like to call it austerity The United Nations It's good for you apparently And you'll die off quicker And you'll have less protein to eat And so on and so on So you get Yeah You're going to have a lot of problems And And away you go. It's all planned, eh? All planned. But they must have your cooperation to die off the way they want you to die off without complaining. Rather sad but true, isn't it? But they've never given you so much free or or even cheap entertainment as they have today to keep you occupied with nonsense. You don't get news anymore. You don't even get any education anymore. All by design. For those who really do value thinking. Keep on doing it and don't give up because it's so easy just to give up and join the herd. Basically, that's what they want you to do. Give up, join the herd. They're all chewing the grass there. You just don't give up because there's a freedom in knowing. Even if you're, you feel helpless and extenuated. what exactly to do about all. There's a freedom in knowing what's going on. You are a creature with incredible ability of sentience. Don't be ashamed of it. Uh, don't let the, the enemy turn it against you by making you depressed. Don't let that happen. And you can, you can get through to the occasional person. Not many, doesn't take many. but occasional person in your lifetime, you can, you can influence to them to such a, an extent that down the road, who knows? Who knows what can happen? That's how it's always been Occasional one here and there Can pass on incredible knowledge That affects people down the road That's how it works That's how it really works And that's what they really are afraid of That's why they're monitoring everybody In such incredible real time now To see what you're thinking Or talking about Or chatting about And so on And Russell again talked about that too Eventually we'll catch them all He says We'll catch them all with scientific techniques, all that time ago, before they gave you the internet. From myself, Alan Watt, from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me, your God or your gods. Go with you.
9: versus them that matters, and there's one
3: us versus them that matters.